0: Hello, boys and girls. Uh, Welcome to the True North Podcast. This is Christian, and um, welcome to twenty twenty one, January one, as I'm recording this. And fuck, it feels good to have twenty twenty out of the way. (laughs) I feel like we uh, were all ready for it to end. So I'm really excited to ring in the new year. Um, Not just from like a personal perspective of uh new new opportunity for growth but also for the business here at true north float and um you know we've we've had a really encouraging start to to our enterprise here we got launched on halloween and our our uh, numbers from november to december essentially we tripled in december what we did in november so we're really really excited about the outpouring of support and people uh, resonating with what we're doing here and resonating with floating and now with our fire and ice room which is going in full force and we're getting like super good feedback with with the fire and ice room with the hot and the cold exposure Um, and a cool exciting announcement Uh, we're actually partnering up with Untamed Yoga which is my beautiful girlfriend Lily's company and so she is going to be doing private yoga sessions out of our sojourner room here um, every Wednesday. So if you are somebody who's wanting to go deeper with your practice and you want some one-on-one training from a 500-hour certified yoga instructor who's also got, you know, certifications in like trauma-informed yoga. And uh, she's just phenomenal as far as like being able to um, address your specific Uh, needs, your particular, what you want to focus on, you know, and, um, it's not just for people who want to just deepen their yoga practice, but for people who might have any sort of specific injuries or mental or psychological barriers that are preventing you from going out to, you know, participate in a yoga class or, uh, do something, you know, like that. And, uh, one-on-one private yoga can be a really powerful tool, especially when you pair it with floating, and, um, if you float before your session, your body's already really open and, and loose and ready to practice. So it's a really amazing pairing. Um, when I was going through my rehab of my hip surgery and I got the screw taken out of my hip, uh, back in the fall of 2018, um, pretty much I was floating three times a week and every single time. I tried to make it to the, I tried to time it so I could do a yin yoga class after. Cause I feel like that restorative yin yoga is incredible. It's like the most phenomenal way to get in and heal your body. And um, it's so restorative. Uh, and floating really opens you up for that. And now, I mean, we don't have a, we didn't have the space to build a full yoga studio here. Um, maybe we will on round two, but um, our sojourner rooms, awesome for just the one-on-one sessions. And um, I've done a couple of those with Lily and it's phenomenal. Like it's even better than a yin class because it's like, you know, just you. So you get all of the hands-on assists and adjustments that you need, all the props that you could ever ask for and need to get into the, to the right postures and really allow your body to open up and to process and heal and um, get, get into the fascia and the connective tissue where we store all of those trapped emotions and traumas and whatnot. So yeah, we're excited to be offering private yoga sessions. If anybody's uh, interested in that, we're doing those on Wednesdays for now. And, um, just super pumped about the, the progress we've made already with the float center and with where we're going. So I'm incredibly grateful for, for me, 2020 was a, I mean, it was a tumultuous year as it was for everyone, but when I look in the review, it's like, I'm actually really grateful for for how the year has gone. Um, I mean, it was challenging and, and a lot of lessons to learn, but, um, there's a lot of good that came out of it in my world for sure. And so I know it's been harder for others, but for me, I'm super grateful and I'm, I'm super stoked to be, uh, ringing in the new year and optimistic about what the future holds. So, uh, anyways, without further ado today, my guest is Ryan Bean, who's, um, he's a, He's a yogi himself, uh true yogi. He's got a really interesting story, um, from you know, a military background to living in India and going full full circle from regimented, you know, Westerner to uh all the way down the rabbit hole into Eastern philosophy. Um, he's not just a yogi, but he's also uh practices, you know, various different breath work techniques, including Wim Hof breathing and cold, cold immersion. Uh, He does a lot of cold immersion, um, kind of activities and workshops and, and things like that here around Southern Utah. So a lot of you've probably already heard of Ryan. If you've, if you're into the cold exposure stuff, or, uh, if you've taken one of his yoga classes at sun rock or at summit or in one of his yoga events, he's, does the acro jam stuff here in town. So he's kind of like already right there at the heart of the yoga community here in Southern Utah, which is awesome. And he was, uh, this conversation was just so much fun. Like we could have kept talking for hours. Uh, we kind of had to force ourselves to wrap it up and we'll probably definitely be doing a part two or episode two for this because we had a lot more we could have gone and talked about, but w- we touch on everything from, you know, his background and, 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 yoga, you know, his intro into yoga and, and what, what yoga means to um, the philosophy, uh, more esoteric philosophy and uh, all, all kinds of fun topics. It was um, right up my alley. This kind of conversation is exactly why I wanted to start the podcast in the first place was to be able to sit down with guys like Ryan and, and dig into it um, for my own enjoyment. But he is, he's uh, doing a cold immersion event at Quell Quell lake where they'll be doing breath work and getting into the, in the water uh, i believe that's tomorrow tomorrow saturday january 2nd and he's also about to begin a yoga teacher training a 200 hour yoga teacher training uh, and if in a week or so like a january 6th or something like that 6th or 7th we talk about it in the podcast so if anybody is uh, ready to take their practice to the next level and dive into a teacher training I don't know of anyone in town better to to learn from and, and to do that with than Ryan Bean for sure. So um, check this check this guy out and this is your this is a coming into your life for a reason. If you're if you're already considering you know jumping into a yoga training, um, th- this guy knows his shit inside and out <laughs> the the yoga shit that is. So um, if you want to connect with Ryan, uh, his Instagram is Ryan Bean Yoga. Uh, he also does guided meditation and guided breath work on Insight Timer, so you can find him there, Ryan Bean on Insight Timer. Um, but yeah, enjoy this conversation uh, with Ryan Bean. Cheers, and happy 2021. What we've got here
1: is failure to communicate. What do you
0: mean by the word I? Culturally sanctioned and linguistically reinforced hallucination. We need to dissolve our cultural conditioning. Welcome to the True North podcast. What is yoga?
2: If I were to tell a, a new student what yoga is, I'd probably recite something from a, a book, you know, regurgitating it. But I, I, I don't believe that's really what yoga is. Yoga is not just this union of body, mind, soul. Yes, that's, you know, when Patanjali wrote it in the, the sutras, it was Yoga Chitta Vritti Naranja, which is yoga is the calming of the whirlwind of the mind. And I would rather say that yoga for me is in that calming process. Not the union necessarily. Yes, it, is, it does exist and it's there, but the whirlwind is something that I've lived with my mm-hmm. whole life. Ever since I tried to, to grow up, mm-hmm. and I'm still trying to grow up, but, it, but it's still like, what is this narrative? Who am I today? What is this thing that I need to accomplish? Who am I supposed to be? Should I finish school? What mm-hmm. job do I supposed to have in mm-hmm. this whirlwind that constantly torments us, which is the divided mind of ego and attachment. Mm-hmm. So yoga for me is the space, the sacred, the sacred
0: space that's between that. So, so like th- the, uh, I think I referenced this in my last podcast, but the center of the cyclone, the center of the storm. Sure. I had a storm like John Lilly, the guy who invented the float tank called it the center of the cyclone where you're kind of in that in that space of total equilibrium and peace and equanimity where you're not pulled in any direction from the chaos the storm that's you know the calm
2: going. within the chaos is what I, I used to have a class called the vortex and uh, uh-huh. you know, and the vortex was really about finding the calm within the chaos like heavy EDM music and lights and mm-hmm. you know very much a movement and then we would find a spot where we stood in tadasana and just felt our hearts. Mm-hmm. Even though you might have base nectar going on in the background, it doesn't matter what, what's going on. You're still trying to find calm. Right. And you know, me being, coming from a military background, which my job was very violent, and, and, and coming out of that...
0: So you served in the...
2: I was in the Navy for 10 years. Oh, yeah. I didn't
0: know that.
1: Okay.
2: Yep. And coming out of that... To you know, getting into acrobatics and getting into finding what my corporate life was, I went to get a, went to get my master's degree and trying to fulfill narratives that were not my own. And to find peace within chaos is is something that is very empowering to me. I can bring back my power, you know. So the whirlwind is not just meditation calming; it's also asana calming. So if I wanted to. Um, take my practice further and I say, you know, I really got a lot going on. I might just go do a Buddha yoga sequence. That's just my own out into the, out into nature and find calm. You never know. I mean, I, for me, I, I, I don't have a lot of those days anymore because as we practice, we learn to respond rather than react. And so, if, you know, in a time where I used to react and go, I need to find calm. Now I'm kind of in a place where I go, I feel those familiar feelings coming up. Mm-hmm. I'm going to respond and usually that's through breath. And so I learned a lot of that through the other side of yoga, which is the pranayama really using breath as a tool in your asana, in your meditation and just kind of, it's all, it's all tied together and that's where the union comes in.
0: Yeah. So I, I like what you're, the point you're making about it not necessarily being about like some end peak state of union samadhi satori nirvana like whatever you know what i mean like this idea of of i mean maybe that's where the road takes you eventually i guess but it's more about the process of every day you know being able to center yourself in the chaos right and having like a toolkit for that whether it be you know integrating breath into your like conscious breath back into your life or asana movement you know like these other aspects of
2: you know uh, I think that, that we're all on this, whether we want to admit it or not, our, our end goal is an enlightenment of some sort. Mm-hmm. Maybe not the enlightenment that we think of what enlightenment looks like, right. and, you know, Buddhist monks or whatnot, but our, our enlightenment is let's learn something. Let's move forward. Let's grow. Let's be teachers. Let's be mm-hmm. students. And
0: or self-actualization is like yeah. what Maslow called it uh, at the top of the pyramid that everyone's c- sort of trying to trying to get to, right? So we have some, whether we're conscious of it or not, we have some sort of ideal or image or like archetype that we seem to be shooting for. Um, and for a lot of people, especially Westerners that looks like Christ or like the archetype of, of Christ.
2: I think we can all look to different teachers and there's certain teachers that are living now that are amazing, wonderful teachers, Mm -hmm. very similar, to those of the past whether that be Christ whether that be the Buddha whether that be Muhammad whether that be Gandhi whoever that is is your teacher I think they all have similar principles and you know a, a teacher that I look highly to is Ram Das, and he just you know yeah. really the, the his teachings that I take most with me two of them one is love everyone and tell the truth
0: yeah, I mean both of those things sound just like Jesus. <laughs> yep. And and,
2: and and another is we're just all walking each other home. Yeah. You know,
0: and, and a, be here now is a really kind of well, that's easy. I mean, that's the name of his of the book we have out on yeah. the coffee table that he's the yep, yep. author of. And
2: you know, I've learned a lot of lessons from from him and also from studying, you know, the Vedas and studying, you know, Buddhism. And I okay. think we take a lot of knowledge from the different scripture or books. And I'm, I'm a, I'm a constant lifelong learner. I will never say, I'll, I'll tell you two stories in, in particular, one about the Buddha and one about my guru in, in India. When I graduated for my, my second um, teacher training, my 300 hour, I was given a certificate
1: mm-hmm.
2: uh, and you can teach now you're a teacher. <laughs> yeah. And he was very much animated and yes, here you go. And you're a teacher now. And I was like, yeah, I could teach. And then immediately face changed. And he says, you're always a student. <laughs> always a yeah and that has stuck with me because there are times when i am looked at as the, inst- the teacher i am the guru right yeah but i don't ever wear
0: that badge yeah it's it's a yeah. slippery slope to put it on you know yeah, i don't be- want to wear that badge i want to just yeah. be uh,
2: i want to be a student just like them yeah and, but I, I may be guiding today but you know there are certain things i mean i have a you know the seven-year-old and a five-year-old around me that that uh are my teachers. I have the cold that is my teacher. Yeah. I have, you know, uh, finding calm within the chaos. That's my teacher. I have students who come to me and say, this is what I learned today from you. And I said, Oh, you just taught me a lesson, you know? So yeah. I think in humbleness, we can all be students and that's kind of my mission is to always be aware. Mm hmm and listen. I think that's where we, we lose sight when we talk about our, our chakras. We lose sight. We say, "Ah, oh, this is my throat chakra. I need to speak. Well, I think that our our throat is, yes, it, it, that's where vibrations come from, but I think we also receive vibrations, and we receive our truth, or we receive others' truth, so we listen, and I think that's an important piece to that road to enlightenment. You know, the other story I was going to tell you is You know, when Buddha was on his night of enlightenment or whatever, you know, how we want to translate that underneath the Bodhi tree, Hmm. his disciples around him. And there was Mara throwing arrows at, at him, trying to disrupt his peace, to stop his enlightenment, to become a distraction. And his disciples said. Uh, Buddha, yeah, there's Mara, should we remove him? Should we what should we do? Should we throw back the arrows? How do we respond, Buddha? And Buddha still in his you know nice peaceful state in his you know, lotus pose and holding hands at his heart, didn't respond, didn't respond and it went on before he finally opened his eyes, addressed Mara, not because he was awakened from his peace, but because he wanted Mara to know he was paying attention. And he said, Mara, I see you. Come, let's have tea. In a very gentle way of saying, you're not going to disrupt my peace. But what what happens in that when we address what we fear or what we see or what is trying to disrupt us, when we address it, Mm -hmm. we immediately take away its power.
0: Yeah. A thousand percent. Yeah. And and Mara is just a placeholder here, right?
2: Yeah. So, so what, what, what is it, what is your Mara is, is, you know, it could be, I have anxiety. It could be that I don't feel strong enough in my own skin. I don't like how I look, whatever your Mara is when Mm -hmm. you address it.
0: Mm -hmm. It's yeah. You have power.
2: You take your power back.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, and to me like floating has, has shown me that a million times because uh, I mean, I've had a lot of, of tumultuous floats where it's like, anxiety or paranoia or fear or shame that's the worst one like is when you have to go into your shame that's like the shittiest feeling i don't know if there's a worse like frequency to be at than in shame it's brutal
2: yeah i don't know of another one <laughs> yeah
0: and so to to allow that to surface or like whatever it is that's tormenting you you know to to address it uh to become like present with it 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 brings you back into a place of of power Um, and really what I mean by that is like separate yourself from it and observe it. Mm. Right. Instead of identifying with the whirlwind, right. The thing that's always happening, the narrative, the constant like monologue. thats going to happen whether you like it or not. Right.
2: Your mind is going to constantly lie to you.
0: Yeah. And so Buddha is not just sitting there under the tree free from all thoughts. Like he's Mm. just chilling, observing, you know, like what's, what's going on. But, um, We kind of like wandered into guru land a little bit, but, and I, and I want to go there, but I think it'd be, it'd be better if we put it into context of, of your journey. So I I don't really even know. I'm really curious as to know like what led you to yoga or India or Eastern philosophy and, and Buddhism and all these different ideas, right? The Vedas, how'd you get there? Um, I'm, I have a hunch it came from like a necessary step you had to take due to like obstacles in your life, I'm guessing, but what was, Mm -hmm. what was, uh, your background prior to all of this and what led you to the place where you are now, which is constantly, you know, helping others, inspiring others with whether it be through yoga, through cold immersion and breath work, or just through philosophy.
2: Yeah. Well, well, I mean, it started, I mean, it starts when we, when we're given a a seed as a child, what what are you going to be when you grow up? Right. And I always said, I don't know. I, I mean, I, I think I, one day I wanted to be a professional hockey player. Another time I wanted to be this or that, but we ne- I didn't know. And most of us don't know what we want to be when we grow up. Did you ever see yourself as a, as a four-year-old wanting to own a float center? No. I mean, you, yeah, you, I didn't you, know what floating was. Yeah, you didn't know what it was. <laughs> yeah. So so I was given this seed, and I didn't know what to do. And I knew that I wanted to do something Um So, I decided to go into the Navy when I was 18. I needed to to get out of the house and explore, travel. I knew that, I knew at least that piece of it was important. Get out, travel, explore, grow Mm -hmm. up.
0: Yeah. And the Army and Navy, they they snatch a lot of people that way, where it's like people who are ready to get out. Yeah. Yeah. Grow up. Because it's a ticket, it's a free ticket, like out to the farthest ends of the world.
2: So I did that for for a while, and and I was I mean I was stationed all over. I was in Coronado Island in, in San Diego, and then I was in uh, Little Creek Amphibious Base in um, in Virginia for a little while. Mm-hmm. And I mean that was a great ex, you know great time. Lots of stories that we can get into deep military discussion. Got to see some cool stuff out. Wh- at sea. What year
0: was it that you en- enlisted? I went in 1995. Okay, so and you were in there for 10 years. So yep. you were in there during uh, the war in Iraq and, and 9/11 and all that.
2: Um yes, but I was also most of my work was in Somalia. Okay. Uh, so it was we were in the aftermath of what was happening in Somalia. Okay. So most of my work was in Somalia. Um we also had the Kosovo conflict. Um that was happening there in Serbia. So there was a lot going on. There was a lot of things. I was very rarely home. <laughs> for and so I was always always gone, but my main base was in Virginia. Okay. And we can, we can tap on that a little bit if we want, but that was, you know, a, a piece of my life that really consumed my twenties. Okay. So I got back and my twenties were over basically. Mm -hmm. And I said, okay, well now I need to live my twenties, but now I was in a place where I had you know, I was I had just finished uh, college. I just finished my bachelor's, my bachelor's degree and I had gotten a, a job and I started to make actual money and mm-hmm. have my own place and my own things and stuff. And so I could actually enjoy my 20s more than I probably would have when I was 21 because right. I could actually pay for things.
0: Right, right. <laughs> <You> <laughs> yeah, know? that's this kind of I, I had a similar early 20s as yeah. well.
2: So, so here I am living my twenties now at 30, 31, 32. Mm-hmm. And in a, and I uh, kind of having an identity crisis, wearing this mask of masculinity that says, I am an athlete. Mm-hmm. I am this narrative. I'm also the stoic, you know, person. I'm Macho. Also, yeah. Yeah. Like, let me live back when I was in the military. You want to see pictures Warrior, of me? Warrior, right? Yeah. So I was living in this mask, several of them mm-hmm. that say, this is who I should. Am. Mm-hmm. but none of that really was who i was in the present it's who i used to be but i was still living on. it's kind of like the guy that wears his high school you know Letterman's <laughs> yeah jacket, yeah you know <laughs> class of
0: 2010 <laughs> yeah
2: yeah like you know coach would have just put me in we would have won state no but you know that that's kind of what i was like look at my medals look at you know this is who i was but it, i was identifying with that as present moment so I got into some other things. I started wakeboarding uh, competitively because I still wanted to be very athletic. And I started to get into um, acrobatics. Mm-hmm. Um, it was just something that I kind of fell into um, from someone I was dating. We got into a community acro jam and started to learn about acrobatics. And then I, all of a sudden, I start to become a performer of acrobatics because I got kind of good at it. And it was just, you know, it was really neat and fun. So I started to become an acrobatic performer with a partner and, you mm-hmm. know, doing all that, that led me to yoga. That's makes where sense. I, this was, so I was doing acrobatics be- to
0: enhance your, <clears throat> to enhance your like athleticism. And
2: I just wanted to be the athlete lifting the, the girl above my head. And I was doing, I was doing that wakeboarding. So I was flipping around. So right. like, here I am being athletic, but I found that I was not flexible. So I, of course I got into like many of us do with yoga, got into for the physical aspect. I said, I, I need to be more flexible. I get, mm-hmm. you know, if I'm going to be a better, um, Partner, if I'm mm-hmm. going to be strong, I need to do more yoga. So, reluctantly, I remember my first yoga class. I remember going in, being very much still wearing that stoic mask. Mm-hmm. I'm just doing this so I can be better at being an athlete. You don't need mm-hmm. to tell me what to do. I'm just going to sit over here and I'm good. I've I've done lots of stretching, you know.
0: So, uh, real quick, I'm going to interject. Yeah. So, but when you say stoic mask. What exactly do you mean? Because I, I currently wear the Stoic mask. Like I, I like the Stoicism. If we're talking about the philosophy, Stoicism. Um,
2: when we talk about Stoic masks or athletic masks or Joker masks, or it's all about saying this is my identity and mm-hmm. this is all I am. Okay. Rather than this is a role that I play. And that's mm-hmm. okay to say in this present moment, I am a comedian and I make you laugh. I see. But when you're when you decide as the Joker that you that's all, that's who you're identified with because you're covering up that you're not athletic or you're covering up that you may have a hard time living within the body that you live in. And then, so you cover that up wearing a mask, of masculinity. And some of those are very, um, well, all of them are self-serving, but they're, but they're all very much removing you from the present moment, mm-hmm. kind of in a way that, um, addiction does
0: yeah, yeah so but but when you say like something like the mask of masculinity yeah I think would, wouldn't you say that, that there's kind of two types of masculinity then like uh, one maybe like is an overcompensation or a mask mm-hmm. or a you know, some sort of patriarchal need for control or something but then there's also um, like the divine masculine like yeah the, totally you, different you, and and so you can take the mask off it doesn't necessarily mean you're not still masculine
2: Right. So the masks of masculinity are not saying we're removing your masculinity by any means. What it's saying is... You're defining your role as a masculine person, whether that be a man or woman, whatever. Your masculine role is defined by this mask that you wear. Mm -hmm. So the best way to to really to simplify it is I'm the athlete. I've always been the athlete. I'm always going to be the athlete. But the truth is when you turn 50 years old, you're not going to be playing football with the 20-year-olds anymore. That's just how it is. Maybe you might throw the football, but you're not going to be like on the team.
0: Unless you're like... Tom Brady and you like Maybe. drink children's soul blood or something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how he does it, but he's like, he's like 40 something. He's a vampire.
2: But, yeah. but that's kind of what it is, is hiding behind these, these roles. And, and what that does is it, it, it affects our ability to show up authentically, especially in our relationships. Mm-hmm. So you, you can imagine someone who's strictly defined by their mask. How can they possibly be, be vulnerable? How can they possibly say, well, yeah, I'm going to take this mask off and be a little bit on my feminine side. Now I'm going to, I'm going to be nurturing and I'm Mm -hmm. going to not sit in this role of, I am the coach. Mm -hmm. I am the athlete. I'm going to actually sit back and say, I'm going to take a more feminine, feminine role right here. And I'm going to nurture this because what you're saying is important and I need to listen, you know, and whether that be with your family or whether that be with your partner or whatever that is, but it's the ability to, to remove the mask Mm -hmm so that you can see what's underneath, which, Got, uh, which, gotcha. uh, which is our, where we're vulnerable. That's where, you know, where we uncover shame. That's where we, you know, where we go deep. Yeah. Know? And so taking that mask off so you can do
0: that. Okay. Yeah. The, 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 the bit about stoicism is <clears throat> like, I, I see what you're saying now completely, but the, the idea of the philosophy of stoicism, I feel like has a ton of overlap, uh, as most good philosophy does with uh, things like yoga yeah because it's all about bringing in um to your awareness what's your your own emotions B- basically becoming aware of the whirlwind becoming aware of the cyclone mm-hmm. and seeing and seeing it for what it is and only taking action as to what you can control like what's like that's the that's the kind of the discipline of stoicism is um a realize that there's death and it's coming fast. It's unavoidable and we're all going to die. Life is short. And so live life with the awareness that it's going to end, right? Cause that'll change how you live it. And then the uh, second thing is, um, only focus on what you can control. Like don't, don't, uh, get caught up in, uh, all of the bullshit that's, uh, that the ego is, is, you know, the whirlwind is, is throwing at you about what other people think of you and your legacy and your status and your money and your, whatever it is. And just, and like coronavirus and all of the anxieties of the world, right? Like the things that are outside of our control completely, um, just focus only on like what you can do in this very moment. And you can always, you always have a choice, even if you're imprisoned, even if you're, you know, destitute, whatever, you always have a choice of like, how do I respond to this situation? How do I respond in this moment right now? And it's just like a breath away from getting into that place of Mm -hmm. making the good decision, right? Like getting into the the center of the cyclone or the stillness where you can actually like make a positive decision there instead of being influenced by Yeah.
2: A... Yeah. I mean, we, maybe one breath or sometimes four breaths away, but you yeah. know, it depends on how, how intense it was. You know, when I was living in, in Orlando, I, um, I had to drive to work and I always had to go through the, the tourist area, you know, which is very lots of cars, lots of people who don't know where they're going, Um, people turning here and turning there, plates from all over the country, lots of rental cars, okay? Mm -hmm. And I lived in the other side of town, so I would drive through every day. And I always caught myself just getting very frustrated, very Mm -hmm. much like, and I I would watch that bubble up within me. And as I became more and more awake or more and more aware of myself, I would begin responding. But before, there was a time where I'd honk or I'd yell or I would crank up the loudest music I possibly could in a way to filter that to match what I was feeling mm-hmm. rather than how do I want to feel. Mm-hmm. So we, you know, that reaction is matching how we're feeling. Maybe that's a breath. Maybe it's two, maybe it's three, maybe it's four. But once we find out where we want to be, we can always come back to that. I mean, it's embedded in our DNA, the, the, the use of our vagus nervous system and how it auto, automatically yeah. autonomically responds. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I know. I know. We're gonna yeah. go into this yeah. with uh, when, when we get to the part of your story where Wim sure. Hof comes into it, because um, that's that's. I'm you're referring to that method in in large part. Part of it, right? yeah. So uh, you got back from the military and you got into acrobatics and you were. Introduced into yoga because you felt the need to be more flexible to be more athletic to be better at acrobatics So so it was very you're coming at it much from a place kind of from a place of ego and definitely and uh, Kind of this aggressive aggressive uh, take on I'm gonna get in here and I'm gonna be good at yoga, right? And that's exactly how I started getting my journey with yoga, too So Mm -hmm. I feel like I feel like that's really common, especially in men
2: 100% and you know, and I, I try to tailor my practice now and events that I do now in a way that meets people where they are, not where they want to be. So mm-hmm. here we go with that response level. So I do a lot of stuff at breweries and I do, you know, yoga brunches. And we do a lot of stuff that allows specifically men to come as they are. Mm-hmm. And you're going to get like a little bit of like, you know, seasoning of, of that mindfulness and meditation. You're going to get some of that in my practice. Mm-hmm. But let's just use it kind of as a gateway here, and let's just get in and let's start moving the way that I did. I mean, because many times, specifically men, will come into a yoga studio and be absolutely intimidated, especially if they're not used to being around large groups of women.
1: They're yeah, not,
2: you know, they, they they just they're they're going to revert back to their role, whatever that mask is, and yeah. say, I'm just going to be the joker in the back of the room. I'm going to just you know, I'm going to do the the guy that does all the handstands, but I'm not going to do savasana, no way. You know, yeah there's just, there's
0: like a weird combination of, of factors too. Like if you're a guy first coming into a, like your first yoga class or whatever, uh, first of all, you're immediately uncomfortable because you're not good at it, right? And like yep. it's hard. and you're you're struggling with the simplest, like at least I was. I was struggling with like where, where I started, like just sitting on my feet was torture. So it's like, that was, that was like humiliating in a sense. It's humbling, right? Cause it's like everyone else is doing it and there's this grandma next to me and she seems to be fine. You know what I mean? So that's, that's part of it. And the other part of it's like you said, you know, you're doing that in front of mostly females and so you're going to, it's easy to get into your head. Like, what are they thinking about me? Like what? What are other people's opinion or perspective? What of if me? I fall? Yeah, yeah. And what? Are they, and do I look? Do I look pathetic right now? Or does whatever? that make
2: me less masculine if I fall? Right. Will they not like me? Will they not think I'm attractive if I fall? What if I can't reach my toes? Yeah. So all these things. These are the words that are just and then, through your head, right? And you're like. <gasps> I'm out of here. I'm never coming back ever again, you know?
0: (laughs) Yeah. And if you stick through that phase and you start to get, you get beyond that first wave of obstacles, it's like more obstacles come up, right? Like it never stops. So it's like, now it's, now you find yourself being competitive and you're like looking around at what other people are doing and you're trying to match, you know, or be better than them just based on the fact that someone else is doing it. Right. So it's like, I definitely went through that as well. Like a lot of just kind of a competitive mindset. But what's strange about it is it really kind of helped me push myself too. Mm. So it's like, I I actually needed it because it, it, it forced me uh, to deal with the, the pain. You know what I mean? Like it forced me to be okay with uh, how hard it was. You know what I mean? Cause other people were. So it's like, that's something that's actually a positive. I think a net positive from a yoga experience, like especially in a group, because other people pick you up in the sense that, you know, you can do this, right? Like other people are doing this. So you can clearly do this, even if it's fucking hard. Right. And then eventually maybe the comp, the competitive side, like you become more aware of that. And you're like, Oh yeah, like I don't need to, like my, my practice is actually here on my mat. It's not over there on someone else's mat. Right.
2: I I cue that all the time where I see people (coughs) looking around and Yeah, and like you don't need to worry about what that where they're at because where you're at today is important for where you're at today. You know, my my initial training was uh, first hatha, and then I got into ashtanga and more vinyasas. But ashtanga was like my practice, and yeah, you know, which to me had a lot of benefits and was wonderful. It reminded me of being in the military a little bit.
0: Yeah, it's very regimented. Yeah,
2: it reminded me of that. Maybe that maybe that made it feel safe. You know, yeah, maybe a little bit. When I when I got back from India, though, I started to, to do more stuff that was more creative and free flowing with Buddha yoga and getting more into free flow and just really exploring movement versus our mobility versus flexibility. Mm-hmm. And for me, I had to really think about it when I get old. Do I care if I can do the splits? Do I care about that anymore? Mm-hmm. Is that important to me, or is it important that I can walk? Is it important that I can move? That I can, you know, still function? And for me, mobility is really what took key. I mean, flexibility comes along with that mobility, but yeah, my practice became much more focused on mobility, and then going more past asana into to more meditation and going deeper into the, the physiology of the, the body mm-hmm. you know, physiology and going deeper into the non-physical body. Yeah.
0: So how long, what was the timeline like with that, <clears throat> that evolution of your practice? Like I'm wondering if it was very much rooted in the physical postures, the asanas and, and the movement side primarily for a long period of time before you sort you sort of started to break through into like more of a mindfulness approach as well. Cause I know you, yeah. you do like, uh, guided meditations and guided breath work on insight timer and stuff like yeah. that. And so it's a big part of your practice now.
2: Yes. I mean, it is. And I was practicing yoga for probably a couple of years, three four five years before I actually decided I am done with corporate Life. Mm-hmm. I'm done with. I'm. I'm going to be of service because I started getting deep into meditation. Mm-hmm. I started learning more about that. Now at that time, I was not doing anything in the cold. I was just meditating. I was just. I was doing some stuff with music, and I was reading some spiritual teachers. I was reading a lot of Ramdas. I was listening to Muji. Um, I was listening to to some Buddhist um, uh, teachers, uh, Thich Nhat Khan and Tara Brach. I was listening to some of these teachers. Learning from them, um, some of the even older ones, you know, you, Alan Watts and, mm-hmm. and so forth. And listening to, to some of these things, and I'm like, maybe, again, this might have been ego. Like, if they're feeling these things, I should, too. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm just as capable. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, and, and I, but I wasn't yet. I wasn't quite, like, I was meditating, but I wasn't, like, going really deep. And I'm like, there's got to be an answer. So, you know, if, to me, that answer was, follow the path of Ram Das go to India, do this. You can do this. I had money saved up. I had received a a check here and I had enough money to leave and go. And so I said, you know what? I'm going to expand this practice into my non-physical state. I'm going to study asana-based yoga, but I'm also going to study Reiki. I'm also going to study, you know, meditation. I'm also going to go to live in an ashram. I'm also going to, you know, Mm -hmm. and I was like, I'm going to do all these things in an attempt to better myself and to make a newfound commitment to be of service to others. Yeah, because I didn't I really felt as though my time in the Navy I was in service to a country mm-hmm. When I came back I was in service to myself mm-hmm. I was partying a lot. I was going out a lot. I was doing a lot of things to make up so I was in service to country in service to self and then what really mattered most was how can I be of service to others and that's really what I found through my trip to India and being there and learning from the the monks, the Swamis and going a little bit deeper um, was how through nature, nature was my my main healer and and really teacher, the cold and nature and through being of service, how we all are really one, regardless of where you live I mean what happens here affects there what happens there affects here. Yeah. And even if we don't know about it there is a ripple there is a ripple effect and so just to be a little kinder a little bit more compassionate and to not think of myself as better than because well frankly right we we live in a we live in a pretty privileged country state city when privileged areas, yeah, privileged yeah. privilege skin, privilege everything. We have a lot of privilege mm-hmm. that resides around us, and we sometimes take that for quite granted. Mm-hmm. And when you go to a place like India, India. Yeah, you and, see the
0: opposite of the privilege. But in, you in, see in a happiness
2: sense. in a way that doesn't exist.
0: Well, yeah, it does exist. What, it, I meant it, by, it what I meant by opposite of the privilege is just from s- specifically a financial, yeah, financial side of it. Yeah.
2: But, you know, those people who I walked the streets with, who, you know, I played with kids and, you know, I, when I, I took a bunch of toys with me because many of the children are, are beggars. They, mm-hmm. they beg for their, their families cause the families are working. And mm-hmm. I took a lot of toys cause many of them don't have toys. So pencils and coloring books and, yeah, you know, little toys and stuff so that they can not maybe miss out on pieces of their life that are important for the foundation of their growth, you know? So toys, simple, simple thing. Instead of when they ask for chapati, they're asking for bread. I go, okay, but here's a toy. And you know, you you see them change from where they had to grow up really fast and they have this very stern look on their face to where they're like, "Ah, I'm a child again. Yeah. Even from just a toy, which is really, really neat. So that that is
0: growing up so fast, having to like figure out how to get food. Oh yeah. That's crazy.
2: It's hard and you know, and I, I found that that humbled me, but it also made me appreciate things. I when I came back, I I minimalized everything that I own. Like I, mm-hmm. I got rid of things that I don't need, mm-hmm. don't want, um, mm-hmm. I gave a lot away, I started doing more service work and then really put my time and effort into continue to learn. Just like I told you the story, like where you said you're a teacher now, you'll always be a student, right? How do I continue to be a student? Yeah. Just because I teach yoga at a studio doesn't mean that I am the know-it-all. I need to continually be growing and, um, learning. So I started to get into more other yoga practices, going to meditation retreats, teaching at retreats, learning from other people at those retreats. Um, just self-study, yeah. you know, the, the self-study is, is quite important too. just continuing to read, listen, use your time more effectively. And those are all really mindfulness activities. Like, you know, uh, for me, I don't, turn my phone on or have it on in the mornings till 9 a.m and I, and I it's off after 9 p.m and I don't and that's as a way of creating space I get up every morning usually 5 30 or 6 to start my day to really go into self-study meditation breath work cold immersion yoga nice. off, off to serve and that way I can show up because I don't know if you've been like this but if you've been to a yoga class where the you know you're yeah. in there waiting and here comes the teacher and they're you know, running late and they're feeling disheveled and they're throwing down the mat and they're like, okay, um, playlist. Uh, okay. There's the playlist. And what, what do you guys want today? You know? And, and they, and they're trying to think of a sequence in their head. Well,
0: yeah, I've seen, I've been there. It happens.
2: It yeah. happens. And I mean, I, I can't say that I have always been early, early, but I am always, I try to always be prepared mm-hmm. because many people that come to class are there mm-hmm. healing. Right mm-hmm. there, the, whether they know it or not, it's in the DNA. They're they're healing, whether that be physical, because they're like their back hurts or they're whatever. Or there might be non-physical and they're learning to find presence. So I want to at least for for me, if I say I'm going to be of service the rest of my life, that's my journey. At least show up,
0: show the fuck up. We well, have to s- and yeah. serve and serve you like you can't pour from the empty cup, right? Yeah. So yeah, yeah. you have to wake up and, and create that, like you said, space for yourself to be your best version, which is something I need to do a better job of for sure. Like it, you're you're getting sucked into the phone and to the wormhole of like all of the shit that's going on in the world and in your newsfeed and your notifications mm-hmm. and your emails and your texts and everything. It's just like, that's the worst thing to get right in the, like first thing in the morning. It's the worst way to start. Oh, yeah.
2: Oh, yeah. You started with a momentum that is, well, not momentum. I, I was teaching a, a, at the University of Central Florida. I was teaching as a, as a guest professor. And I was teaching a, a mindfulness work uh, class. Yeah. You know, it was in their uh, health and wellness uh, Yeah, classes. But anyway, so I, I came in there, and I, I had some bo- singing bowls, and I, um, I put together a mindfulness class. And that was one of the things that I challenged the students, the ch- all, you know, college students. I said, First things first. No phone after nine PM. Like at least social media. Yeah. No, no social media. Not never use your phone in your bed. and Don't look at your social media till after nine AM. And of course, no one was like, "I'm going to commit to that." No one. They were like, "We can't do that. How do we do that?" Yeah. I'm like, we well, you just you just do it. You just, I, like my phone lives on do not disturb because I teach a lot. And I, right. and I, so I don't even look at my notifications. If you text me and it takes me, you know, hours to get back it's because my phone has been on do not disturb for months now. <laughs> I just don't ever turn it on.
0: I don't need it to be because you, you should, cause you want to, you want to interact with it on your own terms. So it's like when you're ready, when you're ready for the phone, when you're ready to get a hold of somebody or whatever it is, yeah. then so there it is, but you don't necessarily need to be a slave to it.
2: Yeah. When we wake up, let's say we wake up and the first thing you do is you grab your phone and this is not new information, but you look at your phone and you see a bunch of text messages. Your immediate response is, oh, I got to respond to those. You see a bunch of emails and they're all, all trash. Like, oh, it's all trash email, whatever. It's all trash email. So you go through that and you delete, 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 delete. And you're like, oh, I'm going to go on Facebook. I'm going to look at that. And then you see a, a news story that's probably maybe not a, a feel good news story. You're like, ah, oh, you know, Trump is doing this. You yeah, know, yeah. and so you've already, before you even left the bed, you began a momentum that is not positive for your day. It's, right. it's, it's really bringing you in a place of, maybe scarcity, maybe fear, maybe a place where you don't feel so good, where you feel like you're mm-hmm. in a country that doesn't love you. I don't know. I mean, there's when lots you're of playing feelings.
0: catch up, you're like respond, you're reacting to these emotions coming up now. And so you're, you're not, you're not in the driver's seat really.
2: No. So uh, w- for me, when I wake up, I mean, I do, you know, use the alarm clock, but I don't look at the phone. There it is. You wake up, you do uh, maybe a forward fold, just dandash in in the bed. Mm -hmm. You just grab for the toes or whatever, do, you know, Johnny Sersasad or whatever. You just do a little something, get the breath going. You can do a meditation in bed. I've been doing a lot of Joe Dispenza meditations and his Mm -hmm. are long. They're long. They're 45 minutes to an hour long. If Mm -hmm. you're up already, put the headphones on, do your meditation right there. You're already awake. Let's do this you
0: know technically using the phone <laughs> <technically>, <laughs> that's totally fine
2: technically using the phone um but not looking at social media yeah yeah not I looking mean, at social media so I, I'll, I'll open insight timer i'll follow that there's some stuff on youtube that's really great um you could use your laptop if you wanted
0: to or you yeah. can listen to something it. like Insight timer is the best because you, youtube is slippery Yeah, if you're getting ads fed to you, yeah, not just ads, but, you know, recommended videos and everything else. And so it's like, it's slippery, like any other social media, usually,
2: I go straight to insight timer, just because that's my chosen platform. And that's where I, I put my stuff. And so I'm gonna, you know, support them. But you do that once you get done. If you wanted to do some breath work, get into the cold tub, you have here we are, you know, maybe 7, 8 a.m. And you're like, oh, I'm ready to take the dog for a frost walk, you know. Yeah. I go and do that. We were talking about how great that feeling is. And you're like, okay, I can eat breakfast now. I have a 9 a.m. class. I am showing up. Yeah. And so that kind of momentum is really, really great um, because you feel as though you're not behind the eight ball anymore. You're yeah. like, I'm, I'm, I'm in charge of my day. And imagine how that's writing into your DNA. I'm in charge. I'm in charge of how I feel. Yeah. I'm in charge of how my day started. Yeah. That is a confidence builder. I kind of say this when we get into Tadasana, you know, Tadasana, you roll the shoulders back, your palms are forward, the pelvis is pressing forward. And I call this the get at me, bro pose. Yeah. Like get at me. Like yeah. I am here. I'm rooted and I'm strong. I'm tall. I'm good. Yeah. Something and, about
0: that posture with your chest up, like chest yes. forward, it, it changes it's your power changes your mindset. Just, just standing there.
2: That's my go-to resting pose. I don't call child's pose all that often. I know a lot of classes do that. And they, it feels good if you're working on you know, heart openers and whatnot. But I like Tadasana as my go-to because I just feel strong. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that's how I feel after I get my, my day going. I'm like, ah, Tadasana. Yeah. Like, I'm yeah. good now. And I can show up and get it done. And, you know, luckily, my life is my chosen path now. You know, I'm, I'm working for myself I decide when I'm teaching classes, Mm -hmm. I decide what retreats I want, when I want to teach meditations, Mm -hmm. I decide when I want to, you know, I have a teacher training coming up, which we're going to talk about, but I decide if I want to do that. I decide, you know, what I want to do outside. And that allows me the freedom to show up in that way. Whereas I know for coming from the previous side, I got to be to work at 6 a.m. Yeah. You, what am I going to do? Get up at three? No, because I have to work 12 hour days. And how do I fit that into my schedule is what I get asked a lot is like, you do all this stuff, but look at what your job is, Ryan. Well, I did that because I deliberately created my job. I knew what I wanted. I didn't know which job it was. I knew how I wanted it to feel.
0: Yeah. And that's a, that's a process that you, you have no, no idea where the road takes you, but it's like, what's the Chinese? I'm sure you know this, the Chinese proverb. It's like, the mountain blah 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 starts with a single step. <laughs> the, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah, basically it's like climbing a mountain starts with a single step. So it's like take the step and that you, you know what that step is right now. Like who whoever you are. Like you know exactly what this exact step is if you just stop and be present and think about it. Like you, it could be something so simple, right? Like the thing that is um that you've been putting off forever, whether it's like writing in your journal or Uh, going to the gym or taking that first yoga class or just something really, really easy and simple. That's obvious in this moment. And it could turn into a domino effect like that leads you to somewhere that you could never imagine. Right. But if for people who are not where you're taught, what you're talking about here of, of kind of being the author of your own story and being able to choose and, and, and be kind of like in the, in the driver's seat of like where you want your life to go. um, And they're trying to get there. um what's like if we had to boil it down to like the simplest thing like morning routine wise like what would you recommend one thing that somebody would do in the morning uh to just make their day go the way that they want it to make your bed okay <laughs> that's a good one
2: yeah i mean that's the easiest thing so when i taught at, at ucf I had a list of I don't know twenty things that are mindful activities, but I told them don't do all of them because you're going to get overwhelmed. Exactly. So if you if I were to tell all these things and somebody who maybe is listening going I, psh, great, but I'm not going to do all those things. Start with one thing that changes your momentum. So imagine you wake up, you make your bed. The bed looks nice and clean. It makes the half your room look cleaner than it was before when you started. It starts in a way of saying. I accomplished something.
0: Yeah. And chances are, if you make it, you'll pick up the clothes too. Maybe. Yeah. It's like, you'll get this weird momentum. Started. Maybe.
2: So start with making your bed. And then maybe after doing that for seven days straight, mm-hmm. go, oh, you know what? I can add something else to my routine. Maybe that one thing is when I, after I make my bed, I reach down and I try to touch my toes. Mm-hmm. So it's a little bit of yoga. It's doing, I mean, that's Uttanasana. You know, mm-hmm. you're doing a yoga pose. Do that. Maybe use the bed and go halfway, do a halfway lift and yeah, do you Uttanasana. Yeah. So you're, you're accomplishing it step by step, mm-hmm. like we said, with the getting into the mountain. And, and I don't think that we necessarily know exactly what our routine needs to be to get to our end goal. I think that it begins to show itself to us as we begin to start doing little things. So our journey is our journey. You're always going to be on your path. You're never off your path. Even if you feel as though you're going backwards, you're in a backwards job, backwards relationship, backwards something, you feel that's still your path. Use it as a learning experience Mm -hmm. and begin to become the observer rather than the doer. And I think that is the most key for me is stop trying so hard. Stop trying so hard. I want to, I want to be wealthy. And so they work, 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 work. And then why am I not getting there? I'm working so hard.
0: Or you or you get there and you're not really wealthy. Like you get there and you're time poor and you don't have your relationships that you used to because you traded all your time for money.
2: So when you start to become the observer, which is learned through meditation, but you can still just be an observer. I like to think that we receive inspired action. Mm-hmm. Rather than being a thinker, and trying to figure out the solutions like a scientist. When we begin to just say, I'm open to receive, I I, I have a mantra every morning and I'll share it with you in the audience Mm -hmm. here, but I I have a mantra that I say every single day as I make my bed. And this mantra, uh, for those who know mantra, is just a simple statement that says this is my intention for the day or this intention. I've been saying this mantra for years now, every day when I make my bed is just saying that I'm open to receive. Not that I expect or you know whatever, but it, it, so anyway I'll get to the the mantra is, I'm open to receive gratitude and joy. I deserve success and abundance. I expand in gratitude, joy, love, and success every day while I inspire those around me to do the same. That's dope. i I like it for me. I had it on my vision boards. I look at them, Mm -hmm. you know, but that particular mantra for me incorporates being successful, being abundant, feeling loved, whether that be for myself or others, being in control of my day as I make the bed, check it off the blessed. for those who are like, you know, box checkers. I don't know if you are, but yeah, yeah, I am. I have a, I have a day planner that I carry everywhere and I, you know, I write stuff on there. That wasn't on there at the beginning of the day just because I accomplished it. Like, I, I wasn't planning on going to the grocery store, but I did, grocery store, cross it off <laughs> because it feels good. Yeah, I feel you. It feels good to cross it off, to, to, to do that. And so here we are on this positive momentum, riding the wave of momentum. And what ends up happening is you end up being around people who are like minded, who are moment, you know, on that ride of momentum because we know what it feels like to be around someone who is sucking your time downer. Mm-hmm. You know, we know what those are. And unless you want to be their teacher, you, you go, uh, I'm going to keep my distance here. You know, I'm going to keep my distance because I don't necessarily have all that to give at this moment. But when you're riding that momentum, you tend to find that you run into people who are also on that same wave and you tend to build each other up and you tend to collaborate and you tend to do things in this way because that feels like ease, that feels, mm-hmm. that feels easy. Mm-hmm. It feels really hard to do it all on your own. Yeah.
0: So you've got this, um, it's interesting. I didn't realize you were so, uh, you had 10 years in the military, but so you've got a pretty, like, as far as, uh, the dualism goes, like you have the two opposites almost mm-hmm. with this immersion in the military very regimented, very like uh, I would imagine like more of like the scientific mind approach, the logical, the, you know, very masculine, you know, all Mm -hmm. that, all that kind of stuff. And then, uh, I imagine a lot of stripping that away when in the process of yoga and Eastern philosophy and, you know, living in the ashram and, and studying with the swamis or gurus or whatever. Right. So what would you say it was that perspective, uh, did it give you any? Well, did it give you any unique perspective? Because uh, it they're so different from each other, right? And uh, what was the what's the relationship between East and West and masculine, sure. feminine, and like whatever else?
2: Well, I, as a child, we'll go deep here. As a child, was do good, be the best, mm-hmm. don't cry unless you're bleeding, you know, mm-hmm. be that. Boys don't cry. You don't mm-hmm. need to cry. I'll give you a reason to cry. It was like very much like that. You get into the military, same kind of philosophy. We'll give you a reason. Keep going. Keep moving. Be strong. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's it's that same mentality. Like that is that mask of masculinity, really. When I dove deep, nature really taught this to me. And in, in Hindu philosophy, this is called Ishwara. Ishwara is like God, or it's like the presence of that omnipresence, Ishwara. And nature is really what kind of brought that to me through being outside, going, closing my eyes, finding silence, listening to the birds, listening to the wind blow through the Himalayas, you know, like very much it brought me to that place. And being in the temples that were there, the ashrams, um, I began to uncover experiences, traumas, even, even some pain from childhood, navy and so forth that i've forgotten about mm-hmm. because our mind does whirlwind but just as a whirlwind if you know a tornado picks up a car you may not see it when it's on the back side of the whirlwind right it's, it's back there kind of almost forgotten until it decides to spin back around so i mean i had some as a child some sexual uh, trauma that, mm-hmm. that happened and i I didn't remember that. I didn't remember that even as a teenager. I didn't. Rem- I don't remember a lot of that. And as I began to go deeper into that quietness that Ishwara provides, yeah. that you tend to uncover that in a way that is palatable, yeah, because not only am I, am I confident in in my own practice now, my practice, I don't mean asana, I just mean practice, meaning meditation, meaning my routine. That's my practice. It is my sadhana. It's my daily sadhana. Mm -hmm. And, um, I'm confident in that. So when it comes up, I can respond no matter what shows itself. Now, before we would be in a place of fear We'd be like, I don't want to see that. I want to hide from that. Uh, I'm, that's, that's too hard to look at, but as we uncover that and we, in our sadhana are very confident, you know, that you you have a toolbox to be able to approach it. So I learned about that through Eastern philosophy, really kind of just sitting with what is the the contentment. That's one of the yoga sutras that I really love is Santosha. Mm -hmm. And it's about saying I'm okay and happy because happiness is not something that I find. It's something that I have. Yes, maybe floating brings that out where I feel joy, or maybe it's my partner brings out joy, but I don't need that to be happy.
0: It's just waiting to be uncovered or remembered or realized.
2: And so that principle that a lot of, I mean, a lot of people have a hard time with that because they say, I need to have a partner to feel love. And that's where we start the work is going, okay, well, they're not they may shine their love on you, but you really need to also shine yours back. Otherwise, it's going to fall apart. You know, Ramdas talks about the um, the yoga of relationships being the most difficult yoga. You know, it is a is it a pyramid shape? So where there's two points in the bottomness is consciousness, and that's where you meet is in consciousness. And without that, it just falls apart. So really, kind of tapping into our own self love and meeting in that place that is conscious. Um, but Eastern philosophy, or specifically Hindu philosophy, and uh, some Buddhism. I, I studied mostly um, Hindu, because mm-hmm. um, that's the ashrams that I was in. Mm-hmm. But um, and I did study under some uh, Buddhist teachers and studied you know, Reiki, which is more um, Japanese, you know. But, yeah, yeah, But which I, is
0: kind of has its roots, like Zen Buddhism. It does, but yeah. I, I know Japan's more Shinto now, but...
2: Yeah, it does have its roots, and I, I kind of got into that as a way to full circle what i do with music and really to incorporate healing through music and mm-hmm. i wanted to be able to use reiki and music so um being able to kind of purify and be able to to feel the vibrations you know today when i was floating and we put on 432 you know oh nice and 432 hertz is definitely a, a wonderful frequency to float to I yeah mean, because that's really what you're in there doing is you're you're, you're really going deep and we, you know we don't tune instruments very often to 432 i have a, a flute that is that i that i play occasionally
0: yeah that's kind of strange though because <clears throat> so if 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 music and sound and vibration does have this power to uh, affect you physiologically like people are saying yeah then why aren't we playing all of our music at like the juicy good hertz
2: you know, I don't know. I mean, most of it now is at 440 hertz, most of it. Um, and I, it hasn't always been that way. I mean, if you listen to a lot of like very classical music, it's all 432. Mm-hmm. And that's just what it was tuned at. And we just somehow got away from tuning our instruments to that frequency. And, and you know, I have a couple um, a couple that you can tune I mean, as you get into like some of the, the editing programs you can change the tuning of your of, of your like my hand pans and stuff I'll change them sometimes and tune them down or put them to, to 528 or yeah. you know to different frequencies and I think maybe a lot of it is because a lot of a lot of junk on the radio has done that a lot of just you know junk music where it's not conscious music right so when we get into like nada yoga which is you know really that music of yoga or mm-hmm. yoga of music, you know those who are singing kirtan and those who are using you know harmoniums and really getting to bowls and you know those who are doing that they know about it they're very familiar with how the chakras what they frequency they're at and how we're going to connect using music and they're very familiar with um the waves that we're using so it's like delta waves or mm-hmm. we're using alpha or theta to get us into a specific state state of meditation or into presence you know, if you want to dream, go into theta. If you want to deep sleep, yeah. go into delta. If, you know, if you're looking to be awakened, here alpha or beta. You know, and so we're. I think a lot of that has gone away with the fact that music has become less conscious in some realms. Yeah. Where where it's just about, you know, cars and money,
0: pussy money, weed. Yeah,
2: yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know if you're gonna put, you're, you're gonna put. You know, uh, a rap song in 432, and hopefully that somebody meditates yeah. to it. You know, there is a there is a... a, a g- I think there's some conscious rap. There is. I actually have a, a guy that I've been, His name is Londrell and I don't know. He's a wonderful rap uh, R&B or rap musician, but he, he hosts. He's very dedicated. He's on Instagram under Londrell, but he... Does morning sadhana on his live page. He writes a lot of poetry, and his songs are all about. I mean, one of my favorites is gratitude. He's another one called Asana, self-realization, and he um, is definitely a, a really great teacher to me. To know that we can turn it around. Yeah, you know that there is there is outlets that are not necessarily your, your, your satellite radio or not necessarily YouTube, but you can go beyond if you really want to find it. And that's kind of the way I like, I don't keep a TV at my house. I, I, um, I use Gaia, which is Gaia Gaia TV. And if I can watch that on my computer, I do. But yeah, just because I, I find that my self study practice takes me into books more than it does into what's on Netflix.
0: Yeah, sure. But there's there's good stuff too. It's it's like the 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 dilemma we're in right now is there's so much good and there's good shit in in the chaos. Like there's there's just too much information.
1: Way there's too way much too
0: information. much information. So it's like if I just get on Spotify, it's overwhelming with how like all the music you could ever want to ever listen to times a million, mm-hmm. but really really amazing music along with the the other stuff too. You know, you got to sort through it, but netflix is the same there's some really good documentaries some really great movies i mean there's films a powerful medium you know and so it's it's we just in general we have too much at our fingertips like we have so much good stuff at our fingertips and so because it's just like for some reason though that kind of results in in uh us taking advantage of less of it Do you know what I mean? We spend more time
2: scrolling than actually. Yeah. Yeah. Like we spend more time going paralysis
0: by analysis. Yeah. Yeah.
2: We're like, let me see what's on this. I was at my, you know, my parents and watching their. uh, They have a satellite TV, you know, and it has all the guide, and you go, you go through the guide, and there's one of those thousands (laughs) of channels, and you're just like, I I don't even know what I would want to watch. Uh, uh, Why did I even get down that? You know, ten minutes later, you're still searching for something good on TV, rather than saying, you know what, I'm going to. Listen to music, or I'm going to, you know. And I, I I wish I could say I create more content to watch, because I, I, I mean, I, I try to keep my Instagram page pretty yoga, meditation, cold immersion focused, Mm -hmm. and that's mostly what it is. But I don't create like a lot of like Instagram live TV stuff. Maybe I could do more than that. I don't do a lot of that, but there are some people that are out there that are creating good content. So, and I, and I do try to follow them. So when I'm in a predicament where I'm like what do I watch? I I know that I can easily revert back to, you know, these four people. And I know that I can find good content or these particular places. Gaia TV has been a really good place for me for that.
0: So what's your opinion on Gaia? Um, I, I mean, obviously that's part of your opinion, but what I mean is like, what, why is it a good place? What's the, what do you get out of Gaia? Like, I know I've, I've checked it out a little bit. Um, There was some pretty interesting stuff. I liked. I watched a few episodes of Ancient Civilizations. I think, Um, like they've got. It seems like they've got some some good stuff on there, and then some stuff that's just like so far out in left field Mm -hmm. that I have a hard time taking them seriously as a platform. You know what I mean.
2: Yeah, there is. I mean, there's a lot of alien stuff on there. Which is a lot of, which is, lot of UFO which is stuff. Which I like. I, I like watching. Nothing. Some of
0: nothing that. wrong with that. And there, there should be a place for all that stuff, right? Like, and uh, people should be able to create whatever content they want to express their mm-hmm. truth and to express their opinion and their perspective. So, there's nothing wrong with the platform at all. Yeah,
2: I like that. Um, I think algorithms teach us or teach the, the platforms what we like. And yeah. So, and so, for me. When I first got on it, I, I knew that. Um, so I started to like certain videos, Ramdas stuff. I started to like Joe Dispenza stuff, anything that had to do with yoga. So I really learned about like the yoga cycle <coughs> and learned about... Um,
0: Which is the the indian the hint is it from the vedas right yeah the, yep it's a cycle of like hundreds of thousands of years of the different ages or yugas of the earth
2: yeah so right now we're in the kali yuga which is mm-hmm. the destroyer and and we've been here before so but
0: it's lasting for a lot longer right according um, to this well, it's cycle
2: me 500,000 years and i think we're you know only well, 2,000 years into it so we're, <laughs> we're, we're okay okay we're all right but yeah we're in the we're in the final cycle um, but stuff like that. So you start to create these algorithms, right, that say this is what you like to watch. Now I get a lot of stuff that's, you know, talking heads, you mm-hmm. know, the George Norrie stuff and, you know, some of these other, you know, uh, I forget what her name is now, Meredith something, but there's a lot of the alien stuff that comes up, and that's great, uh, but, it, but at least the algorithm says that I'm there. And, and I, I think that's where we if we're going down this road, like where we need to be careful because our electronics are listening to us.
0: Yeah. So. Uh, and, mo- and you can, in multiple ways, like maybe oh. physically listening, but also listening to every input,
2: listening to every input, but maybe yeah. also physically listening. And, you know, and yeah. I've had, you know, ads that come up in your phone based upon things that you spoke about in yeah. private. Everyone or, has, right. <laughs> you know, you the Alexas in the series of the world. And so I think that our technology can be, Serving for us if we give it the right inputs, so it's kind of like garbage in, garbage out, right?
0: Yeah, but the the problem is, is um, it's so slippery because it's hard to know what it's hard to see your own blind spots, and so when you you put the inputs in and then you get you know these outputs, um, and it it starts to build a reality tunnel for you, like you start to create this kind of reality tunnel that you're either like you have, maybe you have some, I mean, you're a very, very specific bandwidth, like specific sort of just, uh, part of the spectrum of YouTube or whatever it is that you're getting all of this content specifically to what you have been watching, you know, based on curated for you. Right. And it forces you sort of into this reality tunnel where you have an echo chamber happening. You're getting more of the same coming back at you. And so even if it feels like, yeah, I'm gonna. I'm going to only watch the productive helpful shit and it's going to recommend more productive helpful shit. Right. That's, that's, it seems like that's a great idea. But even, even in that, like you can get very sort of narrow, you could, it's easy to get kind of narrow on anything because you're not seeing the other perspective. It's not recommending the thing you're not going to want to watch. Right. It's, and so, and usually the problem that the reason why six months is all it takes to take a new YouTube user to a radicalized opinion is because the thing that wants to be watched is the most outrageous clickbaity thing. And that, typ- that typically tends to be like a, a UFO video or a conspiracy mm. theory mm. or a, uh, whatever it is. Not to say that there aren't conspiracies and maybe there are aliens. I mean, they pro- for sure, I think there yeah. are. Yeah, definitely. Just because we live in an infinite universe, probably teeming with life. So it yeah. seems pretty... To me, that was always kind of an interesting idea. Like, wait, so the only evidence we have to go off is that there's life here and you're telling me you look out into infinity and there's no other life. That just seems like a weird logic to jump, make that jump.
2: Well, I think that it depends on again, where you were raised and what, um, many, many religious beliefs will, will filter that saying, no, we're the only one. Mm-hmm. Well, this is what, what we were created for. But if you really look at it, if you really say, I'm going to look deep into this. And let me look at the evidence. Again, always being a a learner, always being not a teacher, but always being a student. So you can start to look at evidence from a perspective that doesn't have an opinion where you go, I'm just gonna look at this and let me just see. Let me just see what I think and feel being the observer, not the doer, the observer. So here I am observing things let's just say it is aliens. Yeah. And start looking into okay, let's talk about Antarctica. Let's look at things about Antarctica. All right. Well, why you know, and then you start you start gaining information and then you then you have the at least a book in front of you that says a book of your own knowledge that says this is the what I have in front of me. And these are the experiences that I have had. Also with the other side that says this is the experience I've had with my government that hides information.
0: Yeah, sure. So so this is, this is the, you're, you're totally right. I mean, and if we just like zoom out on the whole alien thing for a sec, because it's, it's so fascinating. Collectively, Hmm. there seems to be an obsession with aliens collectively. It's like the information comes up in all different areas, you know, independent of, of, one source or one platform yeah. or whatever, right? It's all over. So it's in, the, it's in the collective awareness right now, pretty high, pretty heavy. And there's so many different takes on it, right? And there's so many different interpretations to, you know, from from like, a, you know, just like a flying saucer or some sort of flying UFO that defies physics, right? Um, on, and it's caught on camera or someone's interpretation of like an interdimensional alien, something that maybe exists more of like, you know, as a, as a, as a frequency, Mm -hmm. right. And that's to me where like, it's, it's, it's all really interesting. Um, the problem that I see is that it's, it's the, it's the nature of our technology itself and the nature of human psychology. So it's not to say that aliens aren't there, but what, what I think is that humans behave differently in groups as a herd. We 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 gain this collective conscious, and when you're in a crowd, you're part of the herd. So your behavior and your psychology is completely different, and it's been proven a million times. So it's like if if you're in class and the teacher, you know, if they did an experiment or whatever, where it's like they had to they had to raise their hand for the wrong answer or something, and the majority of the people raised their hand and they knew it was the wrong answer, but then the one person who who uh, knew the answer was wrong. Or whatever, but he continued to raise his hand. He was part of the experiment. He didn't realize he was, you know, being tested Mm -hmm. and he raised his hand to go along with the group, even though the answer was obviously wrong. There's a million examples like that where we'll change our behavior to fit in. We'll change our behavior to feel normal and to not draw attention to ourselves. Um, and also to belonging, you know, human connection, those types of things. And so then you have technology coming into it. And it's forcing us into these smaller, like, niche communities online and echo chambers. Where, you know, if I go to one particular YouTube channel, uh, well, we'll say I have a channel. We'll say I have a channeler, somebody who's channeling yeah. uh, other beings or other uh, alien races that are coming through their physical body as some sort of like frequency, and then it comes into the video, and you're watching it, right? So someone like that is going to have a very, very specific type of follower, subscriber, whatever you want to call it, who's commenting in the comments. It's, it's people who have been watching all of their videos. Mm -hmm. That's who subscribed people who have been watching all their videos. So now in the comment section, I have a dialogue taking place here. I have like a, a message board between all of the same people who've been watching. And so they all share at least some, opinion about this woman right or about this person so it's like they can all get they have this in common and they can agree with each other and because it's so positive and everybody else is saying this is so beautiful then now when I chime in it's like oh this is this is incredible like look at all these people who are agreeing and I fall into the herd psychology and I go along with it without necessarily skepticism or anything else and so um, not to say that people don't channel I have no idea like if it's legitimate or not it's just interesting to see how Pol- like how it becomes part of people's identities in such a major way everything from aliens to their political view whether you're trump or not trump because <laughs> those are like mm. the two groups right no not really a abiding group just a not trump group <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and it, whatever it is we all we've gotten more and more polarized and it's like 2020 was like the year of polarization and we're having this conversation on the 31st so it's kind of like a good time to reflect back on like well what did we learn in 2020 and it's a lot, I mean, we probably learned a lot, but look at how polarized we've become. And I think it's our technology is a huge part of it. Social media has played a massive role in this. And so it's like, how do we make it out of this? Uh, it, I think you have an interesting perspective because of like, you've seen two different kind of ends of the spectrum mm. coming from the military, going to India and doing this kind of thing. Like those are very different ways to live. And so it gives you kind of like a more broad, scope. Right. Whereas if I'm, you know, born in small town, rural USA, and it's like make America great again, all the way for me. And I can't see the other perspective no matter what, because all I've been given is Everyone around me is a Trump supporter, and my newsfeed is full of them. And so, yeah, yeah. How, how could the election not have been a fraud? Because I don't even know anyone who's voted for Biden. So, it's like, of course, everyone, of course, it's a fraud. Of course, this is a ripoff because uh, all the people around me are Trump supporters. So, the world must want Trump to be the president. So, this is a fraud. Like, they ripped him off. Well, sorry, I went all over the place. No, no, with no, that it's rant. no. It's fine.
2: No, I. I, I, I <laughs> What I would say is I think the world is ready to, to, to meet aliens. I think we're ready now. Yeah, we, maybe at it one point it like been, it would've, we would have freaked out. So that's all I'll say about that. We're ready.
0: Well, the Pentagon has actually released... Uh, I saw the video. Yeah, yeah saying that. videos and declassified saying that there were crafts uh, not made on this planet. Yeah. That's what they said.
2: So I think we're ready for that. But as it, as it comes to our, our 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 communities that we live in and how our opinions are, are based upon... What our neighbors are doing, what the communities are doing, and how we want to be accepted. So I think that is. It, I think that's going to be a struggle always. Well, you, we're always going to want to belong. That's part of one of our fundamental needs as humans, right? We want to yeah. be. We want to be safe. We want to have food and shelter, and we want mm-hmm. to belong. We want to feel love. So, how do we overcome that and actually gain an opinion? You know, how do we? Do we have to have an ex- experience with aliens, or do we need to? um, go against the crowd and say, I don't care what you think. I'm going to find out for myself. And it's, it's hard because again, we go back to our fundamental, like we want and desire to be loved and to be accepted. So I think that it does take a lot of going deep. It takes saying, who am I? Who am I? Who am I?
0: Like fundamentally below the mask.
2: Below the mask. Who am I?
0: Beneath the mask.
2: Who am I? Am I? Am I a supporter of this particular dogma? Is that who I am or is that what I've been told? Yeah. Am I a supporter of this politics or is that what I've been told? Who am I? And I think that we can go deeper and go. So when, when we set intentions, when we when we set intentions for the day, we usually start them, at least for me. something that came out of a meditation for me when I was in, um, I was at this, uh, temple in, in India and we was a group of us, we were all meditating and there's bells everywhere. You know, you ring them as you go up the stairs and whatnot. And we were by in this bell area and we all kind of sat down and I was like, I started to ask questions. So asking questions is the first step. First step, ask questions. Who am I? What is this? What am I doing? Why? And Not necessarily out loud, but just to self, like reflect, be the observer, Mm -hmm. ask questions to the ether Mm -hmm. in hopes to receive inspired action. And so for me, I started to say, who is, who am I? And the responses that I got back about what is, I started to say, what is, what is strength? What is connected? What is meditation? What is my life purpose. Like we started to ask questions, like what is, and the response I got back was three. I am and reaffirm it. So instead of saying, what is strength? Be like I am strong. We just cr- turned on that confidence. This is strength. It was the second response. And then it's, um, I am, this is, um, and then just asking the question in the very beginning. So those are the three. So this is, is another way you can ask this. So when we ask for, culpa or your intention instead of saying i want strength be like i am strong mm-hmm. this is strength and and so by doing that we we create this cloud of energy around us that sometimes in meditation we i i describe it as a cocoon that goes around our mat that goes around our bodies around our being whatever that is
0: so like the aura
2: that aura it could be for me Open your hands and when I'm playing the music, be a receiver. Just like you would receive sounds mm. in your ears, as you receive see the lights in your eyes. Can you be a receiver through your hands? And well, the answer for me is always going to be, yes, you can. Can you be a receiver to the space behind your heart? Yes, you can. Yeah. Because there is an intelligence intelligence there that before you breathe gets your heart going, right? Yeah. Before your brain is even developed, your heart says, I need to beat. Yeah, And so the intelligence that creates your body can heal your body, not just your body, but your mind also. That whirlwind that we started talking about, when we tap into that intelligence that can be from beyond, it can be from astral realms, it can be from wherever that intelligence comes from for you, tap into it and say, I'm here to receive something. <clears throat> and so,
0: so, so a lot of people would call that God. Maybe. Yeah. Um, so this is something I want to get into before we brush over it. You said, who am I? Yeah. And that's funny. Like in the intro to my podcast, I put in a little clip from Watts. And he mm. says, uh, what do you mean by the word I? So it's like, like, this is one of his lectures. He's like, I'm curious. What do you mean when you say I? Like, what do you uh, what do you mean? What does I actually mean? Um, and typically as a Westerner, usually that involves A description of I as a subject uh, observing in a world of objects like you are something inside of your skin observing and experiencing a world outside of your skin right and so we've created a dualism here immediately subject versus object right Mm -hmm. or figure versus background or white versus black or whatever it's it's like these these things imply each other Mm -hmm. so they actually go together Right. So this is yin and yang. This is a simple, like bare bones, Eastern philosophy, I think kind of at its core. Right. Yeah, and, yeah. and so like with Hinduism, the way I understand it is, uh, feel free to chime in, but like the Brahman and Atman. So the, the self and the ultimate or the, the, uh, ultimate reality Brahman, meaning God, the thing that has no outside edge that, <clears throat> is the very structure of reality itself and atman meaning the fractal element or the the divine spark that is that is one with everything that is one with mm-hmm. that brahman with the with the ultimate so we are all uh, like like a wave is part of the ocean we are all part of god we are god and that realization becoming free from the illusion of the dualism, like seeing everything through those, the lens of those opposites and thinking that, uh, this world must be a war of good must crush evil. It's like, what happens when you crushed it? Like there's no such thing as good anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's no such thing with, I mean, good exists in relationship to evil. Those things exist only together. So, um, that's kind of like the it's like we're trapped in our own language we're trapped in our own kind of westernized view of like this dualism of subject and object and so when you say what what who am i what am i um to me the the fundamental realization and i think it can come from excuse me i think it can come from yoga i think yoga if you have the discipline if you have like the long haul, and you know mindset where you can like stick with it for a practice forever, then you'll probably experience uh, states of non-dual awareness where, um, you know, you're experiencing oneness or uh, Satori, you know, sudden enlightenment or whatever you want to call it. But psychedelics, I think, can play into that too as a catalyst to really almost with almost like a high degree of certainty, give you a, an experience of something more fundamental yeah. than the I you thought was I. Right. So even if it's like maybe you're not maybe you're still a subject experiencing objects, maybe you're still, you know, um, an individual in the universe, but you're definitely not going to be the same eye after a high dose of mushrooms or a high dose like no. if, of any psychedelic. It's just it's just not going to happen because the default mode network, which is the state of your neurology that is reaffirming that eye, that that narrative, that monologue of ego that gets destabilized almost immediately. And then what's left? Like what comes next?
2: You know, psilocybin is a, is a great teacher. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Psilocybin is a great teacher. Just, just as the cold is a great teacher, but as it is as psilocybin works, it does its magic. It's, it's almost as though it's a gift. And I think, I think any, any person who practices shamanism Um, and facilitating journeys in that way would say these are gifts because they were given to us Mm -hmm. in a way that allows them to be approachable. Same with cactuses, you know, like Mm -hmm. the ones that we would want to, to use on those journeys are going to be very easy to pick and find. and, And they're, they're there as gifts. Yeah. And, and I, I believe that however we were brought here, whether it be alien DNA or delivered on this planet, however we were brought or here.
0: we created on the seventh or the sixth day. Uh, yeah. Or whatever.
2: whatever that is for you, we were given tools. We were given tools to remember our divinity. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I, I, guide meditations all the time that where I talk about, I am divine mm-hmm. and our divinity resides beyond this shell because if we were just this shell, well, then we would we would not be divine. We would be we'd be done and over with when we go into yeah. the grave, right? So our divinity carries on. You know, in Hinduism they talk about the the, the metaphor of the of the bird that flies over the mountain. Even Tibetan um, you know tales through the 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 Tibetan Book of the Dead, they talk about this, where the the bird flies over the mountain carrying a silk scarf, and it every time it goes over the mountain it wears down a piece. Of the mountain just a small piece and every time it flies back and forth and the amount of lives that we live is equal to how many times it would take the, the bird flying over the mountain to wear down the mountain you know <laughs> yeah. it, you know it's a long time you can just imagine it's a long time so we just we live through these incarnations and as we get closer to our karmic path let's talk about karmic path so we learn each life we learn something are we, are we, okay, we so
0: before we jump into karma yeah. We we're in the realm of reincarnation, which yeah. which is a billions of people's realm yeah. on Earth right now. Yeah. It's not everyone's realm. Like I had a conversation with uh, my dad recently, and and uh, he, we were talking about this exact thing because huh. he, he he we're trying to find common ground right now, and mine and his relationship, which is I'm super grateful that we're we're both trying, which is really cool. But uh, it's it's interesting because he wants it was almost like he was trying to get me to agree or believe that there's this afterlife. And I'm like, mm. I'm I'm like, dude, I've become probably more spiritual since I, since I stopped, uh, since I left Mormonism, since I decided to drop out from the ideology of, of like Mormonism and, and, and the mainstream ideas around Abrahamic faiths, like Christianity yeah, yeah. and, and the trap of the dualism that we're talking about here, where they're the war of good against evil and, And I'm like, I got to pick a side, right? Like I got to pick a side to fight. And this is weird idea of like, I got to, I got to like be a warrior and fight for Jesus or something. So anyways, like zooming back out of that a little bit and seeing, seeing that fundamental realization of like what I am really and what he Mm -hmm. is really, then it gives me a new frame, a new perspective to then go in and talk about something like the afterlife. Right. Cause it's like, if, if I, if I have an understanding or a knowing or, or some intuition that really at the fundamental core of everything, everything is Brahman, everything is God, everything is the same mm-hmm. then, or the whole. And I am part of that. I am that thing. Twam thou that art that right then. Then yeah, sure. Like why wouldn't there be a bunch of incarnations? Like why wouldn't there be a bunch more going on? Uh, I mean the, the universe is in fact infinite, right? So reincarnation can make a lot of sense if you think about it from that perspective. And when he was trying to get me to like, understand, like agree about the afterlife and I was like, yeah, there's a really good chance that there's probably more existence after this. Now, will I still feel like a, like Christian? Will I still feel like me uh, the way I feel now afterwards? Probably not. I don't know. Yeah, Yeah, Yeah. But, I'm like, so do you think that there's uh, what about these other people that believe in all these previous lifetimes? And he's like, oh, they're wrong. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, well, that's a lot of people that are wrong and, and, and sure, maybe they are. But anyways, I think, I think reincarnation is intriguing and let's dive into karma and yeah. what that yeah. means.
2: Yeah. You'll learn a lot about that way. If you ever do any kind of aggression therapy, you'll learn a lot about your, your
0: yeah, I was probably, if I was, yeah. if, if I did exist in past lives, I, I was probably a heretic, <laughs>
2: I think that I walked barefoot in India. You know, I, I, when, there is this thing where you, I don't mean physically, but that the sense and that sensation within you, when you arrive in a relationship where you rely in a, and where you feel like you're home, mm-hmm. you know what that feels like? You know, when you've worked really hard and you imagine daily like where you're working really hard and you arrive at your physical home and you go,
0: <sighs> yeah. Or a long journey.
2: I'm home. Yeah. Or been gone for a while. And so that's how I felt when I was in India. I, I got there and I was like, this is my home.
0: Really? Yeah. I, interesting. I, I
2: knew that I needed to stay longer than I planned on staying. I only planned on staying for just a, you know. Well,
0: how long were you there?
2: Two years. Oh, wow. So, well, back and forth. But but basically, uh, I planned on only going for a couple of weeks, you know. And, yeah,
0: and man. I, I felt like I was really close to that same sort of trajectory for a minute. And I, it was probably my relationship that kept me from... Uh, completely sure. going down there. Um, but like I was going to do a yoga training in India when we were in Asia and then ended up doing it uh, somewhere else yeah. and not going to India at all. It's just, it was just, for the timeline, I wanted to be back in Canada for June and it just was like too rushed. Yeah. But uh, anyways, go on.
2: Yeah, well, so so karmic paths, I think that w- as we are reincarnated and we still tend to have things to clean up. And I think as we clean up or live within the, the, the good karma. There's not just so bad So define karma.
0: what is karma?
2: Karma, to me, is when there is a reaction to something that's happened in your life. Let's say that is... Um, um, well, we, we can talk about religion. So maybe maybe that is that service that you're doing within your church and that is your duty of service. That is your... You're working through karma. Because maybe in a previous encounter, you were kind of a jerk. You were kind of an asshole, right? And so maybe that service is the karmic cleanup, if that will. But there's also good karma, too. There's also, in a way, saying, I am receiving because I haven't been an asshole. I've actually been a decent person. And I'm receiving abundance Mm -hmm. based upon these actions that have happened previously. So good or bad karma, regardless, I believe comes not just from your actions but from your interactions.
0: Right. So there's, yeah. If I it's been a while since I've read it, but the Bhagavad Gita, I think it talks about like three yogic paths, right? Like the yeah. raja yoga. It's ra- yeah. It's just like
2: tamasic and and um, satvic. Yeah. So you you're you're looking for this satvic or s- the way it's spelled. Well, now, it I think be.
0: I'm thinking of something a little different. I'm thinking of like one's like the path of devotion, like uh, and then there's Raja yoga, there's karma yoga. Anyways, my, my point is, oh, is, is like these are, here, yeah. yeah. So, well, I'm wondering like uh, with karma in general, um, to me, I kind of, I kind of see it like, uh, you know, there's this there's a game, I don't know if you ever played like snake where you, your, your tail grows longer yeah, yeah, yeah. as you eat the whatever, and then you try not to run into your own tail in the, in the same sort of way, like karma is like this sort of tail that follows you, I think, as you go through incarnations, you may, you might grow the tail, right and uh if, if the idea of reincarnation was, was real then like when you were to die and begin again you're just right where you left off at the same exact 100%. spot of karma yep. and so and in that in that way karma means that everything you experience is your own doing it's your doing so so you're experiencing your karma and so like Oh, there's a horrible accident. That was his karma, right? Like, and like all of the unexplainable horrors that we don't want to, that we don't want to like, it's hard to rationalize Some people away.
2: have a hard time with that too, because yeah. they'll, they'll say, well, what about children who have these really horrible deaths? Is that their karma? And you kind of have to grit your teeth and say,
0: Exactly. Yeah, so it's I mean, the same yes, idea like, with, the, with, with God being the creator, right? It's like, well, why would God stand by? He's all powerful, right? And he's all good. So like these are like the, the premises of God. He's like all good, he's all powerful, he's all knowing. So he knows about all the bad shit that's happening. He has all the power to stop it and he's all good, so you'd think that'd be his intention. But then there's all these the evil. There's
2: law. There's law though. Yeah. And so I mean there there's there's a few laws out there. I mean one of them is the law of attraction. We talk about that a little bit. We talk about law of karma. And I mean it's something that cannot be altered. That is why we we have to say I chose to be here. First of all, I chose to be here right now. I chose this so life. So take responsibility body. for now. Take responsibility. I chose to be here. Maybe on the other side of this incarnation, when the veil is a little thinner, when you are not in a physical body, if, if there is a time when you're not in a physical body, even if it's just for a moment where you have clarity and you go back into incarnation again, mm-hmm. then maybe you may be able to see your complete yogic or, or karmic path. Okay. That karmic path. But as we sit here you know as adults i don't know what my karmic path was in my previous 20 lives i just know that i reap the benefits when i do what i feel as inspired action i'm supposed to so a good example of that for me is when i when i left florida to come here and i said i don't know what to do next i think i should do that you know we had we had COVID hitting uh, you know, and I didn't know if I should stay in Florida because I couldn't go to Costa Rica anymore. That's where I was going to go. I couldn't do that. And so what do I do next? And so you listen to inspired action. And it it, it brings you, if, to me it said, you need to get to the mountains. That's where mountains, mountains are healing for me. They're just like my place. That's my home.
0: And they're, when pro- I was, they're protective too.
2: The Himalayas for me were, <clears throat> were my place. And the Rockies, I grew up, you know, in the Rockies. So I, it's it, it made sense for me to, to do this. And...
0: This meaning moved to Southern Utah.
2: Moved to Southern Utah, even though I grew up in Northern. But which
0: which you you moved here right around COVID? Is that what you were saying? I
2: moved here in February. Yeah. Oh, right before. Yep. So I came and but I didn't lose any momentum. I got here and I started immediately doing what I do, just creating, creating, creating. People thought I've been here years, and I yeah, you fit right in. And I was like, no, I just I just moved here. Well, I
0: shouldn't say you you fit right in. <laughs> you I, you stand I think, out. I think I stuck out. You stand yeah. out, but you you uh have you would you've. Adapted well, I guess, and like I feel like there's already an awesome like little community that you're a a really big part of, which is really cool. But yeah, I mean, you got the you got the sleeve, you got like the rainbow beanie (laughs) and the epic beard. Like (laughs) you, you don't necessarily fit the southern you the stereotypical Utah. No, no, not at all. I but but
2: I came in and I just kind of shook things around. But for me, for karmic path. I started to see things fall into place for me mm-hmm. because I listened. I mm-hmm. became the observer and I was like, oh, this job opening happened where I could teach here, where I could do this. And things become when you think, look at them as ease or easy and you're doing what you're supposed to be doing. When yeah. you go, OK, I'm not I'm not going to be an asshole and I'm going to 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 be compassionate. Then things start to fall into place. And we learn a lot about that, especially as we have hard times. So mm-hmm. this whole year has been a hard time. Yeah. Okay. where I couldn't teach other than online. I didn't know how to teach online. It wasn't really all that familiar. I didn't have all the equipment. I needed the ring light. I needed a microphone. I need all this stuff, right?
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Hard times. The gyms closed down. The studio shut down. Hard times. But instead of me freaking out about it, you would take the four breaths we talk about and mm-hmm. go, I got this. I got this. I'll figure this out. Because those karmic things have been swept up and i know that i will be presented with opportunities it's a lot of attraction idea too it's just like yeah. i know that i'm doing i've done the work yeah. and i'm continuing to do the work i know that i'm not going to be without food i know i'm not gonna be without money i know i know all these things and if i am it's because i'm supposed to be so that's santosha it's like if i if i have to not eat
0: like, it's contentment right
2: it's yeah contentment i am the first day that i decided to move i had i left my house and all the stuff. I told you I was a minimalist. All Everything I had fit in my Jeep, everything I owned. So I put everything in the Jeep and I slept in my car the first night. And I did that on purpose. I said, I'm going to sleep in my car and I'm going to feel sort of homeless because I'm, I need to be content with this idea of change. And I'm okay with this. And I laid there, I had my dog with me, you know, and we, we hung out in the car and the next day I said, I, I had clarity that next morning. I'm getting up and going to Utah. That, that night I didn't know. I was like, am I moving back to here? Am I going to go north? Am I going to go? I had some friends that were that run a, a hostel up in, in Georgia. I was like, maybe I'll go there for a little while. Mm-hmm. Maybe I'll go up to Asheville. I didn't know what I was going to do. But with sitting with that contentment and knowing that the law of karma is going to, you know, takes care of me. And I'm going to receive inspired action through meditation in those quiet moments that I knew that I could, if I just listened and it felt good. So go towards what feels good, right? Go, if it doesn't feel good, move away. Follow
0: what makes you stoked. Yeah. So I was like, Utah.
2: Yeah. I'm going to go do that. That sounds amazing. Got here. I had a job. Uh, I was applying at, you know, sending my resume to different yoga studios before I even got here. And I, the day after I got here, I started teaching. (laughs) Yeah. After, yeah. <laughs> Nice. Yeah. And I was going to stay an extra day in, in Phoenix, but I didn't because I was like, I'm going to get up there. You know, I'm going to get up there and do that. And I came right at the right time for us to close everything down. <laughs> right.
0: Shit. Yeah. Uh, what a shit show of a year. But, uh, yeah, dude, it's, it's rad that you're out here though. Yeah. Like, and I think that law, law of attraction and karma, it's, they're almost synonymous to me Yeah. because it's like this idea of the snake tail, the karmic tail or the whatever that you're, that all of us have in a way, is just kind of like saying where you're at on the spectrum of, of human beings, like of existence. So if, you know, we've kind of proven now, like if you just look at, like, I was floating the other day, super, super high, <laughs> but I had this idea of, uh, I saw the, uh, the lights turned on had the lights on and it was a white light and it refracts into the different colors. Right. You see like the prism, the yeah. different rainbow. And um, I'm like, oh, that's just proof right there. There's the spectrum of light. There's a spectrum of color. Mm-hmm. Like the white light has all the colors, and it just refracts into the different colors. And it just—it's sh- like physical proof that I can see of the spectrum, right? And the same thing as listening to uh, the same track you probably did today with the with the the sound bowls, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it goes through the different tones. Now I'm experiencing the different feelings of the vibration of music at different frequencies right so it's like different tones so it's like this is just proof on a f- auditory level of the spectrum of sound right and in the same way there is human proof of another kind of spectrum you might call it the karmic spectrum or the law of attraction or whatever it is but there's different humans operating on and, and existing on different ends of the spectrum and it's malleable you can move up and down the spectrum so it's like the if you're if you're somebody who's who's, um, you know, struggling and you're, you know, a lot of scarcity and a lot of like, you're in a a survival mindset, right? You're in a different side of the spectrum than the person who's like affluent and, uh, you know, giving back and, and, you know, philanthropist and all this other stuff. Those are like two, two totally different human Mm -hmm. experiences, right? But we're underneath it all underneath the mask. We're all the same thing. We're just lost with the mask on being a person playing a role in this, in this dance, right? It's like,
2: Oh, <laughs> we certainly are. You know, Ram Dass, he talks about, uh, um, the problem with going to a party with a bunch of people that he knows, uh-huh. it, or at least he would say he, he used to be like this. It's the part the problem with going to a party with everybody that he knows uh-huh. is he didn't know which masks he should wear. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Dude, I, I, which, kinda, which role should I be? Yeah, exactly. I mean, as a business owner, you, you, you wear that role as a, as a, you know, a partner to someone that you wear that role as a totally. son, you wear that role. And so if everyone's in the same ro- room, who do you be? And, right. you know, and who so am I? Yes. Who am I? We mm-hmm. go back to that. You know, it was, it was when, when I was floating today, I had a, a really nice message come to me and I feel like I want to share it here because we talked about floating a little bit. So as I got in, um, use the, the noodle, you know, behind yeah. my head, and it took a minute to get comfortable. It took a minute to settle in. It took a minute to find my comfortable spot. Mm-hmm. I was holding my ears above the water for a minute, you know, mm-hmm. sort of just finding that where I could actually find ease. And the meditation wasn't there right away. I was trying to find comfort, trying to figure mm-hmm. out how the lights and the jets and all, you know, you try to figure all these things, how yeah. they work. But once I found it, mm-hmm. You drop the ears below the level of the water. Mm-hmm. The, the the little floats holding your head. The legs can go wide. The arms go wide. And you coast on in. And that is where that ma- those magic moments are, is when you can find ease. Yeah. Not just in floating. I'm just talking about like ease in your life. Yeah. Because you're going to have, I had a, my guru, he said that the, the transformation is within the discomfort. Yeah. Okay, so let's get uncomfortable for a little bit. So then when we do ease in, we realize that's what we wanna be, right? So, you know, whether it be a yoga pose or whether that be doing cold immersion, getting in ice baths, your transformation is in those hard moments. That is you sweeping that karma, right? So yeah. here we are sweeping it up, going, I appreciate the discomfort because guess what? Click, click. Yep. I mean, we can't, if we had our choice, right? We like, you know what? I want to clean up all karma in one lifetime. My next lifetime, give me typhoid fever. Give me <laughs> COVID. Give me, give me an early all death. All these lessons. You right? know, give me brain tumors. Give me, you know, but that's not how it works. It doesn't work. You can't just choose one life and you clean up all your karma. It takes time. Mm-hmm. And well, so- every
0: time I, every time I do a pigeon pose, I'm reminded. Uh, mm-hmm. like, it just sucks. <laughs> it's like, uh, what did I, what did I do for this one? I was an asshole or something. Cause it sucks. Every time, you, you know, I do a pigeon on the left side. Yeah, right? So it's, it's to me, taking responsibility, like, this is where I'm at. I own, like, owning owning where you're at. And if you don't, like, that's stoicism. If you don't, like, realize that this is where you're at, this is reality, and then, then how am I going to respond to it and instead of, like, uh, run from it, hide from it, like, like, try to pretend it's not there or whatever, mm. you know? Or, like, the root of a lot of addiction is just distract or try to like numb away this thing that I don't want to. Well, it's about be being with. maladapted
2: to life. It's yeah. about being maladapted to your present moment mm-hmm. and, and you know, the cold.
0: Yeah. Let's talk about the cold. Yeah,
2: we can. The, the, the cold for me is the ultimate presence. Yes. It is. There's no, you can't uh-huh. run from it. I would agree with it hundred percent. Y- you can't, you can't change it. You can't make it anything different, but what you can do is you can decide how you're going to respond.
0: How you're going to breathe.
2: How are you going to breathe, or yeah. re- are you re- ready to respond? Because no matter what happens, this is when I teach. When I teach classes and take people into the cold water, we immediate responses. Let's hold our shoulders. Yeah, <gasps> let's breathe really heavy, right? Because that is embedded in your DNA to do that reflex. We, it, because our autonomic nervous system wants to protect. Our core, our core. Mm -hmm. That's, it doesn't care about your arms or legs. Okay. Your, your, uh, your nervous system says, I don't don't care about those. I don't give a shit about those. You can live without them. Mm -hmm. Let's protect this first. Mm -hmm. But when you begin to say, this is just discomfort, I I'm in comfort all the time. And when I seek that discomfort, not only do I train it because I, i become more resilient. Um, but I also have a way of responding that says I'm okay. And as you breathe through that, just like you would if you were having an, a panic attack, mm-hmm. as you breathe into that and say, this is just a situation that will pass. Mm-hmm. This is just water.
0: Yeah. Or it, this, is just, uh, hold, right? this is just a breath hold. Like this that, is just a breath hold. that. For me, I was surprised when I started doing like a Wim Hof method a little bit. I was so surprised how much resistance I got from holding my breath. Like how hard it is to do an extended breath hold, like full on panic, like psychologically, like what's going on in your head is like, I'm going to die.
2: Because your mind thinks that you need to take 13 breaths a minute or you will die. That's what you're, you're so used to doing 13 breaths. This is what Mm -hmm. we do. 13, 14 breaths. And when you hold it, you are retraining that it's okay for your buildup of CO2 so that you can deliver all that new oxygen into the cells. Mm-hmm. We, but your subconscious mind says I breathe all the time, especially if you're a mouth breather. You live for people who are mouth breathers. You live in a state of panic, mm-hmm. especially if you're sleeping in that way you wake up, not rested because you're breathing through your mouth. Yeah. Start breathing in shallow, through your nose. Shallow breathing. Breathing in through the nose hydrates it. It also throttles it, slows it down. It also filters it and it also creates this um, parasympathetic nervous system response, which is really important in doing this work. So as we breathe, if you get in the water, you breathe in through the nose and blow slowly through the mouth. Just let it out, just letting that out. What that immediately does is allows you to slow the respirations down, moving us into that. I I usually do a, a triangle based breath. So we would do like a four second in, take a seven second out and then hold eight seconds at the bottom. So are you taking this triangle, having the, the, um, apnea at the bottom, the very neutral breath and very neutral at the bottom allows, it's just like this little fun thing that our body does that says, Oh, you're turning on and off this light switch in my nervous system. When we take those heavy breaths, when we're doing the more hi- hyperventilation, the super ventilation breath, where it's like one second in, one second out, one second in one second out, one count in. I mean, I train those and they're great. That is going to set off the um, sympathetic nervous system. That's gonna be your reptilian brain that says, I don't care about anything else, I'm I'm in fear. I'm in a place of panic. I'm in a place that I need to be safe. And so our adrenaline starts pumping serotonin starts pumping and our body mm-hmm. does what it's supposed to do. It's amazing.
0: It's wonderful that that happens. Yeah. You can, you can jack yourself up for something pretty fast. Oh yeah. Just breath work or you like a, like it. an ice bath, right? Like yeah. taking in like, like the 30 massive breaths before you jump in the cold, it yeah. changes your physiology uh, and it makes that doable.
2: Yeah. It makes it so it's possible. And, and those who, um, I, I get it a lot all the time. I, I would do that, but the
0: cold—I uh, don't like. cold. Yeah, I'm just not a cold person. It's like, a, like oh, well, either am I. I <laughs> you're mean, a, you're a human on Earth, like yeah, it gets cold. It gets cold,
2: but I mean, as as a human, I am not necessarily a cold person either, right? I don't have extra fur. Oh yeah, no, yeah. I don't have is. any. I don't have any of the these things that maybe you, some animals do. Yeah. But but guess what? I have learned that. I can train my mind to say that it's okay. And I, I always tell this story because I was up at Kolob reservoir and it was in March. It was last year in March, maybe it was April and end of March, early April snow on the ground. Okay. High altitude reservoir. Water is easily, you see ice floating in the, in the reservoir. It's just cold. Mm-hmm. Wind was ripping across the lake and we, I was there to, to be filmed they were they were filming me for a little YouTube video. And I said, okay, um, And I had to kind of put on that role of like, I'm going to have to get in there. They're filming me. Mm -hmm. But we all have fear.
0: I didn't want to get in. Yeah, that's like 34 degree water. Yeah,
2: I was like, I don't want to be in that water with the wind ripping across my face. I mean, I was wearing a beanie, but like wind ripping across the face. There was a small little campfire to warm me up afterward. But it's still human response saying i don't like that and so what we train in this work as we as we do this is we train the place in the mind called willpower and willpower lives within your brain it is connected through your your neurons there your neurological pathways that connect everything and as we fire them up we learn how to how to tap into it Mm -hmm. and I so when I went in, when I lived in India, I lived at the in, in the Himalayas right by the Ganges River. So, Mother Ganga, right there, it's cold all year long. It's a glacier fed river, right? It's a massive river, but it's glacier fed. It is very, very cold and it is a rite of passage to get into the water. It's very much a, an experience. Were you, were you in Rishikesh? I was in Rishikesh. Yeah. Oh, okay, cool. So, I was in Rishikesh and I was in Varanasi and I, was, uh, I traveled all over, but. Um, Rishikesh is the, that's first that's where I, I was going to go too. Yeah. Cause
0: I was really drawn to the fact that it was by the mountains. Oh, it's beautiful there. It's yeah.
2: amazing. I, I try to go back every year if I can this year, not so much. Yeah. I'll make it there eventually. I'll, 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 try to get back there next year. Um, and, and teach a, a teacher training there if I can, but Rad. they, um, you walk into the river, you know, there's, there's temples by the river and you want to get in. And the first time I got in, I jumped out immediately because it's freezing you know, because I wasn't ready. And I think that's the the case with a lot of things that we do in our lives, right? Use that as a lesson. Like we jump into things and either we can sit with the discomfort and learn our way in or we jump out. Mm-hmm. And so for me, I jumped out. And finally, that's how I kind of got into training cold was someone saying, you know how you do this? You really need to use pranayama first. You use pranayama, you use your breath to get ready. You mm-hmm. prepare yourself. And this was before I knew anything really about Wim Hof, but it was just... Pranayama. Well, well, he
0: he went to India too. I mean, that's yeah. like pretty much exactly what the Wim Hof method is. It's just some pranayama,
2: pranayama, yoga, and mindfulness. Yeah. So yeah. so we we tapped in. We did uh, bellows breath and breath of fire. I used something called Tumo, which is a Buddhist practice. So Tumo breaths. Mm-hmm. Um, I've heard of that before. I think Tumo is a is a practice that they. Um, sit in the snow, mostly snow, uh-huh. um, to light that inner fire. And a lot of the monks will wear like these wet, wet blankets and yeah. stuff. Yeah. To dry and, them out. So I do that when I teach online, I, I'll, I'll use some of those practices when I teach breath work is I'll, I'll, I'll tap it into using other methods. So mo- usually my classes are called guided holotropic or, or mm-hmm. g- guided hypoxia or guided breath with meditation because I use so many different types of breath mm-hmm. Because I think that there's not just one right or wrong. I think, you know, we have... In the military, I learned a breath work. It's called box breathing. And the box breathing is, you know, usually a four-second in, four-second hold, four-second release, four-second hold. This is used to help us stabilize and calm the nerves when you're firing a weapon. It is breath work in the same. I teach that now in yoga. The same principle that I learned how to shoot my rifle is helping those who are having anxiety. So, I mean... It all relates. It all ties together. Yeah. And you can take that box breathing into four and five and six and seven, eight, nine, whatever counts you want to gain a nervous system response. Yeah. So, what,
0: what's cool about uh, the, the simplicity of the Wim Hof stuff is for your average, um, for your average person, it's just a really super direct, like kind of almost blunt instrument, like sort of just take yeah. you straight there. Like, do 30, or uh, three rounds of 30 big breaths and, and then jump in the water and you're just, you're there. Like, you know what I mean? And for, for me, that was, I mean, I was getting into yoga right around the same time, but I hadn't really dove into it deep enough yet. Like the pranayama stuff. So Wim Hof is sort of like my first real introduction into like a breath work practice. You know, it's powerful. Breath work is, um,
2: a lot of people are embarrassed to do breath work and i'll tell you when i when you teach it in, in yoga
1: classes freaks people out
2: yeah they just don't understand it because it's not a western thing yeah it, it is not and we, like people will do the ujjayi breath they understand that breathing in and then moving yeah. to the next pose they understand that they kind of get that but when you start talking about alternating nostril breathing and nadi Shudana, yeah. you start talking about bellows breath you start talking about lifting the diaphragm some people don't even know about the diaphragm they just don't have the awareness yet of or their awareness body. of how it is or how it yeah. works and That is, it is a challenge for some because they are insecure with their breaths. I mean, for instance, I mean, I'll talk about, my father has bronchitis in his lungs chronic and he started taking my breath work classes. It feels better. Mm -hmm. He's a mouth breather. Mm -hmm. He's not filtering it. It's all the moisture coming right on in. You know, there's a lot of stuff that's happening with just breathing improperly, but yet that's not something we teach in
0: school here. We don't teach how to breathe. It's crazy. It really is because there is an optimal way to breathe. Oh Yeah. And and like there's a guy I can't remember his name, but he wrote a whole book on just breath. Uh, he was on Joe Rogan's podcast. That's how I heard about him. But um, the Jesse Coomer, uh, Maybe.
2: Yeah, I, re- I have Jesse's book. I like him. Is it
0: called uh, Breathe or Breath? No, his okay, book then is it's called a uh, guy.
2: Practical Guide to
0: Breathwork. Oh, okay. Gotcha. But yeah,
2: I really like uh, Jesse's stuff. He's also a, he's a Wim Hof in, uh, method oh. instructor and yoga instructor. Cool. So he's a pretty uh, it's a good resource. But yeah, there's a lot of them. Yeah, there's a lot of ways to breathe that are more optimal mm-hmm. that help you. I mean whether it be for if you're trying to find alkalinity in your body, Mm -hmm. whether you're trying to remove inflammation, there's lots of reasons why we do this. Yeah. But you can
0: do it without, like if you're somebody who's like terrified of the cold, you can start with the breath work. Right. And then maybe start with turning the end of your shower to cold for a few seconds. And then you just like slowly build the willpower because it's, that's something that like is universally going to be an asset throughout any part of your life. Like having the willpower to, to do something that's hard having the awareness that you can come back to your breath to change your state, like within just a few seconds, you know, whether, you know, if you're, if you're feeling yourself rise to anger or mm. whatever it is, some catastrophe or some bad news or some, you know, thing that the world threw at you, the, the whirlwind, you can bring yourself back to center with yeah. like this method, with these practices. On right?
2: on Christmas day, we, I did a family breath work on insight timer. Nice. And so I had a five-year-old and a seven-year-old with me. And all we did, we just used mudra. I didn't tell them what the mudras were, but we just took a breath in through the nose, holding the index finger and thumb. I said, I, let it go. Take a breath in, change to the middle finger and thumb, am, Mm -hmm. take a breath in, ring finger and thumb, so, take a breath in through the nose, release through the nose, pinky finger and thumb, calm. So that's five breaths. Just for them to say, I am so calm. Amazing how that changes. They start, they're using that now as as when they want to react because brother threw a toy at them, you mm-hmm. know, or, you know, I got a lot of comments afterward of people like, I love that I can teach my kids breath work. And that's what's so neat about pranayama in general or just breath work yeah. is... You don't have to. I mean, I wouldn't take a a five year old and do, you know, hypoxia breath with him. Right. I wouldn't do Wim Hof and take him into the cold necessarily, but it doesn't mean they couldn't, Um, you know, be cautious with that. But, you know, because they're not fully developed and they're still learning about their nervous system response. But, But once you get to be an adult, I was told by my guru that yoga is us like a sledgehammer, it is breaking down the walls we've spent our entire life building. So breath work for me is the same thing. It is like, okay, I built these walls to keep me safe. that didn't need to keep me safe. And now I'm using breath work and cold immersion to break them down to my raw self. Again, removing the mask. Yeah. You know,
0: it'd be cool to do some, um, some fun stuff here for like members and stuff, you know, get the, get the tubs out do some Wim Hof events in the future. Um, and the fire and ice room, having the sauna for people to heat up. I mean, it, it's not really big enough for big groups, right?
2: No, but you could you could fit four people in there.
0: Yeah, easily. Yeah. Uh, I I've already done. I mean, we actually had a family who rented out the space, and mm. they had probably nine or ten people, and they just kind of like were rotating between floating in the fire and ice room and stuff. But um, yeah, it's 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 actually a lot funner with more people. <laughs> like it, it it's empowering to be you have other people there you know, uh, encouraging you when you go into it the, is. Into the it, cold, uh,
2: you know, no matter what the temperature is, I mean, whether you're doing it at 30 degrees or you're doing it at 60 degrees, it's still a shock on the nervous system. And so that's, I try to tell people like what they, I get asked a lot, what, what temperature should I do it at? How long should I stay? How should I breathe when I'm in? And yeah. My response is, what do you need? Yeah. You know, like, ha- do you need heavy lifting right now? Do you need to shake some shit loose? all right, well, g- go do 90
0: seconds in 35-degree water. And different people yeah. are going to respond differently. Like some people, if, if you put them in 38-degree water, it might, like, it might be like, I'm never doing this again, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so maybe 60 is exactly where they should start, right? Yeah. Yeah, or yeah. a cold shower or something, you know? Uh, so start the, with a cold shower. It's like we were talking about with the, mor- the morning routine thing. It's like you don't want to give yourself 50 things to do because then you get discouraged after one day that you missed it, you know? And then you stop doing anything. So it's like starting starting incrementally where with something that you'll actually stick with is is the is the play. Um and I think don't you do uh you do these like regularly, these cold immersions, but when's your next one? Is it in January?
2: Um no, I have one Saturday.
0: Saturday. Yeah.
2: So I'm been- at the lake. Yep. So I do one at, um, I've been using the reservoirs here, so I do have one at Quell Creek on Saturday.
0: Oh, dope. Um, so it is in January technically, but. January technically, <laughs> right. but
2: yeah, basically just only a few days away. But then after that, I mean, I, I, host them in the summertime using the ice bins because the reservoirs are too warm. Yeah. Warm. And I really like the connection to nature. It's just definitely, it's been the healer to me was to doing this in nature. Totally. But the cold does still teach and whether I be in a room you know, uh, tuned away from everything, or whether it be listening to meditation. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think uh, we were talking about you know having somebody guide them into cold is a really great idea because
0: yeah, we need to record something. Yeah, that.
2: record something of me me playing and talking, and and I think that's really helpful. But uh, all the while, it's about listening to the inspired action that says, "I I should do this." I don't know why, and making it available in a in a way that that works for their practice. So if for me, if I wanted to go heavy, I would do, you know, a very, very cold for a shorter amount of time, just because I'm experienced in this doesn't mean I just want to go do an hour every time I get into the cold. I don't, okay. I, I, I have other things to do with my day, Right. you know, but it does help me manage my day. So when I was here the other day, I did 20 something minutes in, into the, into the soak tank. It was great. It was wonderful, but I could do longer, but that's, yeah. but that's all I wanted That's cause
0: it's like what a 60 or something. Yeah.
2: But that's all I wanted for that time period. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there are times where I only just want to get in. I go over to Ivan's reservoir and I'll get in for 10 minutes and be like, I'm done. That's all I need. That's all I need to like inflammation and feel whole, get centered, go into it. But yeah, I'll be doing them almost every week. As long so as people, if want someone to wants
0: to go, um, to your one on Saturday, how do they do that?
2: Um, they just show up at Qual Creek at two. <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah. I mean, but if you want it, they can message me on my, my Instagram is Ryan bean yoga and that's the easiest way I advertise there and I have it on my Facebook and stuff, but yeah, really it's a donation based. Um, I'm doing that one as donation based because I'm doing it for a group of men who want to to go deeper, um, hell yeah, and they're, I'm gonna uh, try to make it to that for many sure. Many of them are um, it's a recovery group, and mm-hmm. so they're using cold immersion as a way um, through their recovery. Nice, uh, but it's open to everyone. I mean, it's not, but it, but it, I, I I'm loving that men are contacting me saying I want to do the work. Yeah, hallelujah, right? Like yeah. I want to do the work. I want to be a better human. I want to be a better man. I want to be a better partner. I want to be a better, better dad, and. I was maladapted to life at one point, so I drank a lot or did what, you know, and now I realize that I can have these other tools that help me be more adapted to life. And so, um, yeah, I'm really happy to offer that. So I, I do it as people want, you know, Sweet. Um, I have done stuff at um, teen um, centers. Uh, mm-hmm. there's, there's one here in town. Um, that's it. They, they live on the premises, they rent a bunch of houses mm-hmm. and the teens live there. Mm-hmm. Um, for whatever reason, you know, maybe mm-hmm. some of them have been removed from their homes or some of them have chosen to be removed, but they, I went over there and 25, you know, between 13 and 18 year olds got in the ice buckets. You know, we had hundred pounds, hundred pounds in each one of them and a hundred gallons of water and it was 35 degrees and they got in. Oof. It was wonderful. Yeah. it's awesome. And, and we did a meditation afterward kind of, and I
0: say oof cause I've been in 35. It's it's so cold. It will, it'll wake you up. Yeah, it's needles for the first couple. It'll
2: wake you seconds. up. but done properly under the right guidance, and I think that's key: is the right guidance. You can do it, and as long as you know, I mean, it's it's always fine until it goes wrong, right? Yeah. And so what I, what I what bothers me when people take people into the cold, that don't know really what they're doing. Yeah. And you have somebody with an adverse reaction where yeah. they where they really have like maybe a a panic attack or maybe they have hypothermia hypothermia and can't get warm and you're not ready to do that so always go with somebody there's also a risk
0: of of like if you're doing it by yourself don't do it in the water don't do these breath these these breath holds and the breathing techniques while you're in the water because you can you can pass out and you don't want to pass out in the water.
2: (laughs) Yeah, this year, actually, I'll tell you about this. So there is a polar plunge coming up that I'm going to go do. It's over uh, in Washington at Stuckey Farm. Oh, yeah, I heard about this. I'm going to go do that. Um, It's at the end of January, Um, but I'll probably be doing some training up to that just to... Yeah, they
0: actually reached out to us to invite uh, invite people. So anyone listening, you're invited. Yeah. What's the date?
2: It's on the 30th of January. Okay,
0: and they go down a big water slide into a cold pool?
2: They have two pools that I guess they're keeping, um, not heated so they're going to get into them. And I guess there's some prizes and stuff. They invited me. I said, okay, yeah, I'll go and see if this works for me. You know, I'm not doing it for ego by any means. I'm just like, yeah, I'll support your event. I want to support my events. Sweet. Um, cause I very rarely do things beyond the 10 or 20 minute mark. And when it's really, really cold, I just don't do it. Um, but I'm going to start training last year. I did right at an hour up at Baker. Oh, so
0: you're going to see how long you can stay. That's kind of the, that's kind of what their event is.
2: Um, yeah, I think they give prizes for oh, that.
0: Oh, well, shit, they're going to, I just discouraged everybody because uh-huh. I just, everyone, now everyone knows how good you are at standing the cold. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> no one's going to go. We're like, fuck, Ryan's going to be in the water. I don't want to go compete against that shit.
2: <laughs> well, they can come. It's still going to be fun and it's a good gathering of people and I'm going to be training. So if you want to come train, you come to my events. But, but last year I did right at an hour. Um, we did, well, it was uh, 45 minutes um, up at Baker and it was like 32 degrees in the water. But I went with somebody. <laughs> Um, I made sure they were there. Somebody was there to sit with me and I could have gone longer because once you're in that state of, this is just water, I'm okay. The ducks are swimming by me. They're fine. Yeah. And you look up at the sky and the sun is hitting you on the cheek and you're ingesting that. So here we are as receivers of heat, receivers of vibration receivers. I ingest that heat I let it go down my body now i couldn't feel my feet or my hands yeah but i was feeling heat surge through me i've been in ice baths where i'm hot because my body begins to radiate heat and using these tumo techniques and some of the wim hof techniques where you begin to radiate heat because your core temperature is not changing right so you start to get hot you melt the ice you melt the ice and so here i am melting ice and I could have stayed in longer, but it was very symbolic to me because it was my birthday, and I was like, oh, "Yeah, I'm yeah, going to do the, the, you know, my birthday, and that's all I'm going to do." And I, I probably could have stayed longer, but it so you only like,
0: stayed for like 28 minutes because you're, I'm just kidding here. Yeah. How old are you? You're like 40.
2: I stayed 43 minutes. 43 minutes. Okay. Yeah, so I stayed 43 minutes, but I could have easily done a lot longer. I just didn't want to, so I'm going to train back up to that. But I don't do that often. Right. I'm not trying, I forget what the new, the, there's a new world record holder, he just came out, um, he beat Wim's time, and it was... In ice? Yeah. Oh, yeah. damn. And I forget what the guy, gentleman's name is, I don't know There's him. another
0: human who's done that?
2: <laughs> yeah, so he got the Guinness, and I forget what his name is, but...
0: Because Wim's was like 75 minutes in just a tank of ice or something?
2: He was two hours and Oh, shit. Two hours and 20, I oh, think. Oh, man, that's so bananas. I think it was 228 or something. So
0: fucked up when you think about, it's just ice, like... That's just sapping, I mean, that kill the average person in like 20 minutes or something.
2: Without training and without that confidence that we talked about saying, mm-hmm. I got this. And when your core temperature increases, now you need to train the hands and feet because otherwise you'll end up losing them. Right. You'll end up losing them in the process, but you could survive that with the training. Right. So I do, like doing frost walks in the morning mm-hmm. is something that I actually, um, the, the, that I was was taught that is really important because like, think about it. We send our dogs out to go take a crap in the morning, right? Go, do it. But yet we always stay at the door yeah. in our comfort, right? <laughs> yeah. Why? Well, they, they, they have the same, they actually have a little bit more than us, but their feet are bare just like ours, right? Yeah, yeah. So go out there and walk with your dog. That's a good step to like yeah. training your feet to that. And
0: a great way to start your day too. Like, and especially now it's cold, like, like enlivening brings you awake, awakens you, brings you alive. Yeah, I I do. I'm a big fan of the morning walks with the dogs. Well,
2: I want to go do those. I think that's something maybe we can do. Um, I wanted to do some like cold outside exposure, not necessarily in the water, just like, let's go for a hike Mm -hmm. in, you know, Kolob Mm -hmm. Canyon. Let's go for a hike in uh, you know, up in Bryce or something. Let's hike shirts, shoes, uh, you know, off, yeah, yeah. and just kind of get that cold exposure because it's an important process to my own resiliency is not necessarily only the water, but there's other elements yes. that, that you're training in.
0: And it's incredible to experience nature in those times when yeah. normally you never do. Because it's cold, right? Like yeah, yeah. people, that are, I mean, people go snowboarding and stuff, but that's way different. Like you're, all bundled, you're totally bundled, and you're and you're around all these other people. Like go to like on a on a hike to some beautiful alpine lake in in the cold and experience it. You know, without your your clothes keeping yeah. you warm, and it's a different. Like you're really in the environment. You know what I mean? Like yeah. you're experiencing what the environment is actually like, not like what the the fake environment you've created for yourself with your clothing Mm -hmm. and your, your coat and all that stuff. Yeah.
2: I definitely want to do more of those. I think that that's going to be key. I mean, I'm looking at, um, with my partner, we're looking at doing a little bit of a meditation retreat center here in Southern Utah and building on some land and, and it'll, it'll have those elements where you can go hiking and be out in nature. And
0: well, you know, you're, you're part of the, part of the true North tribe. You got the, ice bath here whenever you want it. Oh, yeah. And what I'm probably going to do is, uh, give a schedule of like some days it'll just be like, we'll probably just have different temps per day. Mm, so people, that's cool. people can be like, you know what? Um, I want to go do a cold plunge. Um, but I don't want to like go hardcore, too hardcore. So let's do it at 60. And then we'll just have certain days where You can just come in and it'll be at 60, but there's got to be at least one day a week where we drop it down to like, I want to get it. I want to get it all the way down to as cool as we can get it with the chiller, which I think is about 38 degrees. Perfect. And that's, we got to do at least one day a week where it's 38 degrees because, um, then you can get like those shorter, like powerful plunges, you know?
2: I really liked the going from the cold and I just got into the sauna for a minute. I didn't get in very long, but then cause I knew I was going right into float. Mm-hmm. That was a really nice transition. So normally I like to go, you know, I do breath work and then I'll go into meditation and then I'm ready for, for, you know, for cold. It was really nice, a nice transition because the water is super warm in the, in the, you know, the float tanks. I don't know what you keep those at, but it was, it was warm. Yeah. It's it. about
0: 94 or five degrees. Yeah, it's it was, like right at skin temp. It was
2: fine. You know, like I got in, I was like, okay, this is perfect. I didn't, I don't really, I didn't really need this on. I didn't, you know, I got, I used it for its benefits at the steam, you know, more than anything. Yeah. Cause I knew I was getting in the flow, but yeah, that would be really cool. It would be nice to go on, on those really cold days with
0: guidance. Have I you think- ever tried going extreme, extreme heat? For, yeah. like, long I, periods? I live in southern Utah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, like, you yeah. know, like, whim running through the desert or whatever. I
2: haven't done anything like that. I've, <clears throat> I ran a couple marathons, um, and I did those in Florida, and those were—I mean, that's extreme. The sauna,
0: like, it, it actually has—it's a test in its own right. Like, if you crank that thing up to 185 and stay in there for a while, it it's— I get to that same sort of point where it's like, Oh, I want to get the fuck out, you know? Yeah. And, and, and that, um, has been proven to be like really good for longevity and your body creates these heat shock proteins when you're, when you're exposed to those high temperatures, Mm -hmm. which seems to be associated with healing, like just kind of systemically through the whole body. Mm. So people who, they did a study and people who have regular sauna bathing use. So like they're sauna bathing four times a week or something uh like 160 degrees i think there's this study and those people had a 40 percent lower all-cause mortality rate hmm. so just by using regular sauna your chances of dying from everything it's like 40 percent less all cause i
2: guess i need to sit in the sauna more yeah it's it's, <laughs> it's
0: it's it's got its own its own kind of slew of benefits <clears throat> so i like the idea of them being together
2: yeah no i i enjoy it i mean I, I think being here in southern utah it's dry and hot and i yeah and i, I definitely go hiking in the, in this weather and i spend some time outside but i don't um train in heat necessarily right the way that i could yeah because i think that yeah, both of them have their benefits but yeah, i don't i don't train
0: yeah uh, training like from an athletic training perspective like i'm thinking more of like just from a holistic wellness, uh, longevity perspective, I'm sure it can assist in training, but for people who, you know, have like, like autoimmune problems, the yeah. cold is just going to destroy your inflammation and your autoimmune yeah. issues. You know, if you're somebody with like issues that are chronic that have been, you're dealing with for years or your whole life, there's no reason not to explore a new possibility. You know what I mean? Like take that step and it could turn into the miraculous transformation of like healthy you.
2: I don't like to say that the cold is going to heal you. I never say it's going to heal you because that's making a very broad statement It's saying you're going to be healed. If you just do this one thing, it's kind of like, here, take this special yeah. pill. Yeah. But I do tell people that to augment your treatments using this as a tool, mm-hmm. you may find results. And then you, you, you start to like push them. to uh, uh, another instructor is, is, his name is Rob and Rob, um, had uh uh what is it reynolds reynolds disease is that what it's called
0: i don't know lou gehrig's disease no reynolds oh right. i have no idea
2: reynolds anyways so that's a gi okay that's uh, so basically uh, autoimmune in the, mm-hmm. in the, and then he talks about how when he found breathwork and cold immersion he was healed mm-hmm. he made that statement not me that he healed himself by util- utilizing these tools and i I think there's some validity to it. I mean, there are, there well, I are mean, science, we were,
0: we were talking earlier, not just so, from a science perspective, there is validity to it. Yeah. I mean, just like the way that, uh, Hoff was able to prove that you can, that not only can he be resistant to, uh, the E. coli, the e. coli yeah. but he can also make his blood resistant to it and he can train like 70 other people to do the same yeah. where, you know, you're just creating a, an immediate re- immune response, getting, the specialized killer T cells that you need to fight off this this invader, without the two week of symptoms or whatever. You so know? why don't people do it? Yeah, exactly. Well, it's it's a yeah. it, first of all, there has to be some sort of shift in consciousness of how of who am I, and what am I like, and what is the body, and what is this whole thing that we're experiencing. To me, floating and yoga and uh, have they both give you a lot more awareness of like, what is you in this moment, right? You're, you're, you're stripping away sort of the other experience and you're going into the body, right? You're going into now and dropping in. But I feel like, I feel like getting the, the perspective and the awareness of like what the body is at a more fundamental level automatically organically evolves into this, knowing that it's capable of healing. It's capable of, of regeneration. It's, 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 Default state is health, and we just happen to live in a bunch of weird, fucked up circumstances no. where no one's healthy.
2: You're out of your homeostasis. Yeah. I mean, that's really what it is. Your homeostasis is health. Yeah. Why, is. Why, why
0: would it be any other way? Yeah.
2: No, it is. And you did, Joe Dispenza talks a lot about that if you're not familiar with him, but he. I am a little bit. So, him, you know, he got in a, in a bike accident. He was hit by a car and it broke his back, mm-hmm. eight places or something. And he, he really said, I can heal my body because he was into yoga and the doctor told him. You know, don't worry about your thoracic mobility. You don't really have any, anyway b- to begin with as humans. And he said, whoa, wait a second. Yes, we do. Yeah. You know? And so he said, I know more about the back than you do. I know more about my spine. And so he began to reimage his homeostasis. Mm-hmm. He began to re-image that through meditation saying, this is what my spine should look like. This is what it should feel like. This is how I should be that. And it goes back to the intelligence that created your body mm-hmm. knows how to heal your body. But the problem is when we have, Shock, trauma, triggers, all these things that happen, it, it's down into the DNA that says, yeah. that's not how I look, not and, anymore. And so
0: the, ep- the epigenetics or our environment and our experiences in our life yeah. have an impact on our actual DNA and, and, and on the actual uh, coding of like, how am I going to exist as a being and all the way down to cancer? Yep. You know, like and being completely out of homeostasis because like cancer might be the most out of homeostasis you can go maybe. Sure,
2: sure. And so here we are. You know, talking about what are our tools to bring us back to to changing our DNA back to homeostasis, whether Mm -hmm. it be yoga, breathwork, cold, float. You know, we have all these tools now. And I mean, it's a great time to live and, and it's a great time to be alive that we have these tools, you know, maybe even 20 or 30 years ago we were saying Western medicine is the way one day we'll have a cure. One day we'll have a cure. Yeah. We've always and had the cure. It's been right within us. Well, we're-
0: and we, and we do still have a lot to be thankful for with the Western stuff for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And there's no, there's no reason that the two can't come together. Um, and you know, it, it's, but it is, it is, discouraging when you have like, you know, experts who are super specialized into one field of study on like not, not, not necessarily seeing the body from a holistic perspective as one organism. Um, but also not even having that awareness of their own body, right? Like, and, and, and having that own interconnection to what's going on in their body Mm. from a, from a first person experiential way. Right. And then, you know, to have that person tell you, Oh, you're just, you're, you're going to die within two months. Or you're you're not ever gonna walk again. Or you're not I mean, how how many fucking stories have you heard where they someone overcame the odds or the oh, bad yeah. diagnosis? It's like it's like you get one every day. It's like it's nonstop. So it's like, okay, so yeah. at what point do we stop condemning people to disease <laughs> and giving them a diagnosis of disease, right? And figuring out how to like restructure this some way where we're promoting health and we're promoting like the the homeostasis that we want to see instead of like Creating that story of, you know, death and disease and all that. But obviously, you know, it's just a paradigm shift that we're all kind of going through right now with all these tools coming together from the East to the West and the West to the East and psychedelics ubiquitously all over the planet that are kind of being uh, the Renaissance, the second kind of wave of that, third wave of that.
1: I
2: think uh, a lot of these tools are coming into place. because we've we've lost trust in especially in in our government and in in, in doctors just in general because we keep seeing things like different disease on the rise and we go well there's got to be a better way right so you know we we we, we're using all these other tools because we're kind of fed up with taking pills we're kind of fed up with this side effect that might happen from this we're kind of fed up with people making money selling us drugs we're kind of there's just there's almost like this unanimous collective of consciousness that says we're kind of fed up and if i even just feel a little bit better then i'm gonna do that just a little bit i don't mm-hmm. even care if it heals me like i just want to feel a little bit better just want to make it bearable yeah so like for even if it's just a headache like you know what i'm just gonna put some peppermint oil on here if it makes me feel a little bit better and i'm not taking a bunch of like advil that i don't know what's in in it then maybe that's what i do right and we start as and i think over time it is built in built and is built and I like living in this time. I think it's great that we have these tools to to kind of fall on. I would never say, get off your medications that the doctors are giving you and just come float for a little while and do some meditation. <laughs> yeah. I would never say that. But I would say you, you you might feel a lot better. And when your body feels better, you, you start to tell your mind, I feel better. Yeah. And when your mind says I do feel better, it starts getting rewired into your into your DNA that says I am a person of health. Well,
0: so it's it's not like the float tank is going to be this like magic secret like uh, you know like elixir of life bath that we found like this like whole like I I have this special authority to bless this water and now the water is like you're going to be healed by in the name of Jesus or something. But what another but what it will do is it will strip away everything else so that you're left alone with you and who am I? You know what I mean? And then like you start from there and go in with no expectations. Right. And just like go in to experience that, uh, who am I? And to me, the transformation can't come until you've like taken stock of what is and who am I? And like, where am I now? And the, like becoming aware of the present and being in the present and then, from there, like you can begin to discover where you even want to go and who you want to be. And the, you know, visualize the healthy, you, the happy, you, the strong, you, the powerful, you, all that, all those kind of things. And then transform,
2: you know, the, 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 the float itself. I mean, you can even think of it as a placebo if you, if you really wanted to, to, to going deep within yourself, because Mm -hmm. you know, yeah you, you, you could use a psychedelic, you could do whatever, but going deep. So the, what I, th- I, I didn't quite finish when I was telling you. That. So I was laying on the um, you know the float and I was letting it support me. Uh-huh. I have a cut on my foot. And of course, uh, yeah. the, the salt water immediately hits you. And yeah, lets you know. And says, hey, do you have a cut on your foot now? And so I started to bring awareness to that foot. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, awareness there. And just kind of being aware of it. And that same thing we do in yoga class. Be aware of it. Just don't try to change the story. Don't try to finish it. Don't try to be part of anything. Just be aware bring ease. And so I started to kind of sit with that salt hitting my wound. Okay. It's okay. It's all right. It's fine. And then all of a sudden I, I didn't feel it anymore. And I started to feel the rest of my body dropping in. Whereas before all my attention was on my foot. And we, we do that so often in our lives, right? Where we, we draw attention to this one thing that's going wrong in our lives. This one thing and my whole life is falling apart because this person doesn't love me anymore or whatever that is. This Mm -hmm. whole thing is my, but when you start to just go, it's all right, I'm okay. You start to drop in. You start to notice the rest of your body, the rest of your life. And then everything else starts to become at ease. And then there you are deep in your, your float or deep within your, your life. And it's definitely a great metaphor for that. If you can take that little bit of advice out of your float or out of your time spent in meditation, that, that one little wound, that one little thing that, you're, that you came in here hoping for healing, you just did it yourself. Mm-hmm. You didn't need a pill. You didn't need, you are changing that deep down. I was, um, I was given this gift. Uh, I'll tell a quick story on this, but I was given a, a gift every day. I went into this metaphysical shop every day when I was in India, almost every day. And I never really bought anything because I was on a very limited budget. Uh, you know, I, I brought every, all the money that I had and I wasn't trying to carry a bunch of money with me. You know, I just wanted to, I just had it. Put away in a safe in my in my room, and every day I'd go in there, look at crystals, look at things. He called the, he called himself an astrologer, in an astrology shop, and he would always hold up this bowl every day and he'd be like, "Here," and it was little baby crystals, tiny little guys. He'd pull them out and be like, "Here for you, gift." <laughs> okay, and I'd say, "Okay." Uh, and months went by, and I was still getting this one little crystal every day, and finally, I stopped him, and I was like thanks i i i don't need any more crystals this was a great learning lesson for me because he was very offended he was like you don't want my gift and i was like uh yeah but i have a lot of them and i have to travel back to the united states and a lot of these are a bunch of rocks you know like and know <laughs> they were just little one what am i gonna do with all these little rocks you know?" Mm-hmm. And he said something to me that I wrote down immediately that day. And I have told the story over and over because it is such a powerful message that it, this humble man gave to me just by giving me these little gifts. He said, Do You know why I give you them? I said, You just give them to me so I come back and maybe buy one day. And he's like, No, I give you gifts because when people receive gifts, they're happy. They're happy to receive a gift, it brings out their happiness. Yeah. When they're happy, they can relax their mind when they relax their mind. They're closer to knowing their true self. I was like, I felt like a dumbass at that moment, <laughs> you know? And I said, Oh my God, I just learned an amazing lesson from this humble man who basically taught me what we just did talked about in the tank there. When I can just find that little bit of that piece of joy, when I find that little bit of healing,
0: mm-hmm.
2: it begins to radiate through my body. It mm-hmm. calms my brain and I get to know my true self and there we go. Remove yeah. the masks again.
0: That's, that's a little bit of the, the motivation of why uh, I wanted to do the experiment with the medallions. Yeah. Because when you're giving it, you know, unconditionally as a gift, then it, that powerful float, when you're able to have that realization or that breakthrough or that, whatever it is, just the rest or re- whatever you're getting from it, it really does resonate as a gift. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? and, and, and you get the, uh, to closer to your true self like like this guy was saying which is pretty which is pretty rad um we've been talking for a long time and i (laughs) (laughs) want i could keep talking to you for a long time but um one thing i want to touch on before yeah exactly one thing we should touch on before um well it's a couple things i want to talk about your training but before we get there gurus because we did we did walk into guru land for a sec but uh, there's been a lot of, I'm sure both of us can say there's been a lot of influences and people who we've learned from teachers, sages, gurus, you know, Mm -hmm. whatever, enlightened ones, whatever you want to say. And the, there's a lot of wisdom there for sure. But then you also see like, especially specifically in, in India, it's common. Um, but really, you know, like with, uh, uh, Osho and, uh, Bikram and like, you know, I just heard of another one, Yogi uh, Bhajan, mm-hmm. the uh, kundalini guy. Yeah, yeah. so it's like there's all of these, these, you know, figures that everyone looks up to, right? A lot of people follow and there's a lot of wisdom and they say some incredible things and they've done some incredible work. Um, like, I mean, what Bikram did for yoga in the United States, I think is pretty rad. Like the fact that there's so much yoga here is probably in large part due to him. Uh, as, at least taught yoga. But then he's, a creep, right? And he's also doing, like, this other shit on the side. And there's, like, you know, all these women who were who were coming out with allegations. And the same thing with all these other people, too. It's, like, common in the guru world, in guru land, for the guru to turn into a bit of a sociopath or a bit of uh, a predator or a, something. Like, that being in a state of, like, the authority you have over other people where people like subject themselves to you, like, what should Mm -hmm. I do? And, you know, you're the one, you know, I listen to you and they hang on every word and all this other stuff. They put you on a pedestal. Um, and we're, I think it's human nature to like want that, that certainty of a leader of like this powerful savior character or something. So clearly there's, uh, some danger of falling into that trap like we'll call it the guru trap where like now you're entitled to take advantage of other people or whatever it is, right? Like where you're, you're, you're lost in ego. You've got the mask of guru on instead of like shining through like a true mm-hmm. self that yeah. wants to help others, like the Bodhisattva or something. So, um, how, like, what have you, what's your, what's been your experience with gurus and, uh, what are your thoughts on like the, the territory here, because of the nature of like what you teach and how it could easily turn into uh, guru land.
2: Yeah. Um, so being a, a, a male yoga instructor, spiritual advisor, meditation facilitator, whatever you want to title you want Acrobat, to give me that day, athlete, yeah. all that stuff. It does come with um, its share of responsibility mm-hmm. and awareness and boundary setting. And I think that's key. So, I mean, there are times and places where uh, adjustments are, you know, you do hands-on adjustments. But I, I have said even from the very beginning that I use these little cards that say, you know, yes, please, no, thank you. And they can mm-hmm. turn them over at any time as a way of um, giving permission or, or, or re- revoking right. it and saying, right. I don't want to be touched. And that's fine. I think that a lot of yoga instructors, they go through their training and they become the guru, right? And they're in there and they're in a place of power. Maybe they've never been before in their entire life. And here they are leading a, a group full of beautiful women in a room. And it feels good. It feels empowering. It feels like what they didn't have as a child or as a right. teenager or whatever. And the problem is, they, they have their 200 hour training. And that's great, 200 hours, but it's not nearly enough to, to incorporate all the things and the facets of the mind. And something that I, when I moved back from the United States, I made sure that I went into a a trauma informed training Mm -hmm. to learn about trauma sensitive practices and accessible yoga. I teach some stuff for, for for those with TBI for traumatic brain injury. I think that's really an important piece. If you are going to be a fully rounded guru, if you want to call that, I would, I've been called that. And I, I always just say, you're a guru because we all are, we're all in this process of Walking each other home. Walking each other home. Mm-hmm. So if someone says you're a guru. Like, no, you're a guru. Yeah, I had a,
0: yeah. <clears throat> I had a float recently, and then went over to yeah, I saw you at Sunrock. When I went over to Aaron's and Lily's workshop, yeah, yeah, um, floated right before that, and then I had this kind of thought come to me that it was it was very much along those lines, uh, but it was in relationship to me and my dad, and just how we really hold the key to each other's healing yeah. in a lot of ways, and and we're teaching each other a lot. Uh, and I think that's just common of any parent child dynamic, right? Like sure. you're learning from your kids as much as they're learning from you, if not more. Right. So I think keeping that uh, understanding is key and that humility is key. But, uh, I feel, I, I just feel like there's a, a weird tendency for, 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 for power. Yeah. You know, you know, and it's, and, and so it's strange because you get these people who are, who are, um, Pra- the practice, the, the discipline of what they're doing and what they teach is in, by its nature supposed to eliminate the ego that seeks the power. But then when they're in this position, they take the power. You know what I mean? Like they, yeah. they're, they're in the position and they take the power. Like they, they, uh, you know, they start a cult or whatever it well, is. Well, I think a lot of these
2: supposed gurus, you'll notice... They don't become a student anymore. They they stop being a student when they get into that position. Right. I mean, how many times did you see, you know, some of these gurus still practicing, going to other people's classes? They stopped,
1: mm-hmm.
2: and that's a problem with a lot in the yoga community, just in general, is they go, ah, I'm so full of my life, and other classes I'm teaching, I don't practice anymore. Or I even found that with myself, where I came back and I'm like, there's no one here that inspires me, so I'm just gonna do my own thing. Just yeah. gonna teach, and I found that, and I had to say, no, go to classes. You need to be the student. I remember what my my guru told me: you're you're always the student, and i ever forget that. Yeah. So that's where I found Buddha Khan and I started finding more about th- that practice because it became more of an inspiration. So what I would say is that those gurus probably stopped practicing, probably, and I, don't, I can't yeah. say for all of them, but what they did is they lived their truth and they left it at that pinnacle where they were in power and they stopped practicing. And if they would have just simply said, I need a teacher, because I think that any, any uh, personality or social influence or whatever, they all have mentors. We, you know, Jay Shetty is a, a great person who, to talk about that where He leans on other people like Lewis Howes and others who are and they create these groups, these mentor groups where they can still be the teacher, but still be the student. And I think that's an important dynamic that we lose, especially. If you were like the the kid that was beat up in school, and now all of a sudden you're a yoga instructor, or you are, you know, a business owner, you be, that's your one time or your security guard. That's always the yeah. greatest one, right? Or a police officer. And police
0: officer, yeah, and and preacher or like, preacher, yeah. And yeah. so you now you're in this position of power. Yeah, like like it's it's kind of. I mean, this is this is creepy, but like the Catholic Church right now is is facing kind of almost an existential threat uh, about around. Uh, pedophilia and Mm. abuse of of young children um by priests so there's a weird relationship here that seems to play out in humans where where we get power it begins to sort i mean like the bible like absolute power corrupts absolutely i don't know if that's the bible but whatever like that the whole the whole idea of power corrupting the the person in the situation um so yeah, it's, it seems like when people, when you have something awesome to lend to the world, you have gifts, you, you have the ability to teach, or you have the ability to show people, like lead people. Um, we need those people, but then once the followers come, the, 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 t- the students come, whatever it is, it can tend to corrupt the, the leader, right? Yeah.
2: And my, uh, my partner, she, she gave me a compliment the other day and that I, her and I processed it a little bit because I said, we, we were talking about what is unique to each other. Like, why would we choose each other? What is unique? Not because, you know, you make me feel this way or, yeah. or you have the business or, you know, these, these superficial things. Like yeah. what is unique to you as my partner that I can't find anywhere else? And right. She said something to me. She goes, she said, I, the way you show up in practice is unique to you. And I said, and she goes, I can't find that anywhere else. You show up, exactly in your practice and what she means is kind of walk the walk talk the talk like i get up in the morning and do my routine mm-hmm. i do my sadhana like that is an important piece what does sadhana mean sadhana is your daily practice your okay. truth i mean it's your truth it's your path it's so devotion so it's your devote yeah your walk of devotion so it's like getting up make the bed do your mantra do your breath work do your cold like yeah. do that so that you can show up for the world and it was a really nice compliment to me because it's just something that I do because I feel better. Yeah. But that resigns that resound out, outside. It's yeah. Shines, it, makes it sure shines. that you're of service. So not just me, but I think that we talk about these other gurus who maybe stopped doing that and they started buying their Rolls Royces and they started, you know, having parties with, with women and they, they stopped. They got out of their routine, their sadhana, and they just simply were like, this is, they will see how long this lasts. Well, I mean, we see where Bikram said, was he living down in Mexico now? Yeah, he's doing, but he's selling out his... Yeah, yoga trainings. People
0: uh, are like, this guy's still good at yoga. <laughs>
2: uh, yeah, but I mean, he still does his poses and whatever. But I don't, think I don't know that he has a, a, a complete practice anymore. You know? Yeah, and, I have no idea what and, he I just know he's. I I know beautiful. of a few. You know, even even in town here. You know that the we want. Uh, what I would say is, come to yoga, come, yeah, come practice. I want to come to yours. Invite me. Like yeah. that. That's really where I'm at. Like, I am quite busy and I do a lot of stuff. But if you invite me and say, yeah. Come do this. I'd be like, yeah, I, you know, I, I'm excited
0: to share. I'm excited. to Yeah, learn it's weird. Things. It's weird when you get into it's 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 so paradoxical to me because it's like we're talking whether it's the new age community or the self-help or like yoga, yeah, yeah. whatever it is, right, whatever you want to call it, where we're trying to improve ourselves. Right. Uh, or, or, or we're seeking good vibes or whatever, like whatever you want to word that, like it's supposed to be about growth and progress and and welcoming in and all this stuff. And no ego, like, like trying to be, get beyond that. And even within that, it creates this like weird sort of ego dynamic where it's like my classes versus yours or my studio versus yours or my uh, path or my way or my philosophy or my brand or my whatever. Over somebody else, and now all of a sudden, like capitalism and competition and ego and all these other things, status have woven their way into the equation, and it's not even really about the thing anymore. No,
2: no, there is uh, Jay Shetty talked about it. How there is more benefit, uh, a bigger benefit to collaboration than than competition. And I would rather collaborate with every yoga teacher or every yoga studio than to be a competitor. Same and and it's it is a dynamic that i have to like kind of go through a little bit though because i do work under a roof who still is in a place of capitalism yeah. and i have to say okay you're trying to make money and if i talk about other places that i work then yeah there's going to be a problem okay i get all of that dynamic yeah. and i have to so usually i just refer people to you, know, you want to know more about me go to my instagram page or go, you know we, i can tell you more about the other stuff that i do but not under <coughs> this roof but there is it's almost like we're afraid that if we share clients, then we'll lose them. Yeah,
1: exactly. <clears throat>
2: Rather just, it's th- like
0: a zero. It's a zero sum mindset uh, that it's like a limited pie. Yeah. You know what I mean? Let's let's, head, let's not, not have
2: enough. a scarcity mindset. Let's move yeah. into an abundance mindset that says all that I will ever receive is already out there in the universe. I just waiting for my alignment to receive it.
0: I'm, right. I'm
2: waiting for alignment and then I'm going to
0: get it. And honestly, by by giving by helping others, by collaborating, by, by making an effort for no reason, just to like yeah. support somebody else's thing. Right. Like that's how you get your own, like that's when that's karma. It's like, it comes back mm-hmm. for sure. Uh, speaking of capitalism, what's the deal with your, uh, your yoga retreat? Um, I mean, I say capitalism cause like from a financial aspect, what's, what is the training cost Uh, for oh, people, for, for uh, yoga yeah. Teacher and like, training. what's your, what, just tell me about your training.
2: Okay. So yoga teacher training, I was, uh, well, we've done them all over, but this one happens to be in Southern Utah, which is great. We're going to be doing it at uh, Sunrock Yoga. It starts January 6th, but we, we are taking people. You can come a little bit late if you want.
0: January 6th, okay. So if so, we post this tomorrow on New Year's, yeah, then yeah. it's in a few days. Yep, we have... And ice, ice training or lake training breath work is tomorrow. It's Saturday. Yeah, but tomorrow, because I'm going to publish oh, yeah, this tomorrow. Oh, yeah, yeah, so tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so you
2: can come. All you have to do is really just... Contact me at Ryan Bean Yoga, but I mean, I'm doing them every week, so right. just look for them. I'll probably be going back to Quell Creek or to Gunlock, or when Baker gets water, we'll go there. Uh, right now, it's empty. So.
0: so, what's the, what is, if somebody is interested, like, who, who is this teacher training for? Yep, it's
2: for really anyone that is interested in learning more about yoga than Warrior Two. And, mm-hmm. it, you know, it's about saying, I've been going to class and now I'm kind of like in the routine and I'm kind of bored with yoga sometimes. So I usually sometimes I go to spin class and I'm trying yeah. to find what makes sense for me physically, but also knowing that you do feel something non-physically when you go to yoga and you're just looking for the right outlet. This teacher training is me, who is, you know, it's, I'm Hatha and Ashtanga, but Budokan minded um, Camille, who is an ashtangi. And Joe, who's I think her practice is mostly hatha based, mm-hmm. and some vinyasa. So we have three different instructors that give you a different point of view. But there's also all the instructors who are at Sun Rock who are going to be chipping in. So and even Lily, you know, chipping in, doing her their, their little pieces, and can, you know, we'll have other instructors who have this other little piece and taking people out into nature to do yoga. And there's every, really a lot of collaboration huh. that supports the training. There are payment plans for it and whatnot. But if you miss a class, it's cool. We're doing some of them on Zoom because this is the day and age we live in right now where you need to be a little bit online. Yeah. Because not everybody can get to spaces and do things and who knows, we might have something shut down. Yeah. But the idea is not for it to be a virtual
0: class by any means. An in-person training for sure. It's
2: in-person training because I think that's key because I mean, I was immersed in all of mine and when I, whenever someone tells me they took an online training and now they're certified, I kind of question that. Mm-hmm. I'm like, uh, there's some really value to being in person. Yeah, and it's actually, different. Especially when you're talking about anatomy of a person's and body. And alignment and stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah. so, but it, they're going to get a lot out of it. Plus, being local, it's only two nights a week, you know, and if you're going to yoga anyway, already two nights a week, then there you go. Right. You know. So that's
0: the commitment, two nights a week for how long? performance performance
2: so it's till april and then there's five saturday classes okay um and those again are, are filled with like excursions and stuff getting out into nature and doing yoga so it's, it's more than just sitting in a classroom um i i'm going to be teaching philosophy history you know going into sutras and the vedas and i'll be doing some stuff with mobility um and breath
0: work yeah which was low key like when i did my 200 hour in asia um that was low key, like my favorite part of it was the philosophy and oh, stuff. Philosophy. Yeah. Like getting into, cause to me, that's like, the roots of it, right? Like, where did this come from? Why are people, why are there so many, why are there yoga students I'm gonna do my now? best.
2: You know, I was taught by, by a Swami who, you know, his entire life is dedicated to reading, uh-huh. you know, text. And I'm gonna do my best. You know, I, 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 I do my best that I had the way that I was been, t- been taught it, but I have certainly not dedicated my life to reading the Vedas, you know? Right. Where these guys have. And so I was lucky enough to like really have that as an experience and having, you know, like a, a very like Ayurvedic um, doctor who did our anatomy, you know, someone who was like very in touch with how Ayurveda Mm -hmm. is and uh, yeah, how lucky is that? So we're going to do our best, you know, using what we know and what we've been taught, you know, and I'm going to kind of regurgitate some of that information like we've done here on the podcast, you know, regurgitating some of what I've been taught, which I think is valuable Mm-hmm. And then kind of throwing my own spins on it, you know, uh, my own spins with, with, with mobility, you know, with sequencing and being creative with sequencing. You've been to my classes. You know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Just, yeah. Just like let's get creative and, and make our practice unique. For me, that's what I want to be known as is that was a fun practice. It was unique and it incorporated lots of things that, yeah. that um, I wouldn't normally do if I just showed up at XYZ Yoga Studio for a vinyasa class. You
0: know? Right, right. So how can people connect with you about any of this stuff? If it's the cold immersion, if it's this teacher training, or they just want to come to your classes or whatever?
2: Yeah, the best way is through Ryan Bean Yoga. I mean, I use that on my social media sites, all of them.
0: And your name's B-E-A-N? Yeah. Okay.
2: Yeah, that's usually the easiest way. I mean, I think even TikTok is like that, all of them. So Facebook and Instagram and all of them. Um, you can, that's usually the best way to find me because um, mm-hmm. that's what something I do answer Between nine and nine, right? Okay. (laughs) In the mornings, not so much. Um, On Insight Timer, it's Ryan Bean. So they can connect to me and see if they like the breath
0: work on there. It's just my name, Ryan Bean. Right. But Um, you're doing something tomorrow for that, right? Like you said you're doing a.
2: Yep. Yep. That's at uh, 2 p.m. And we're doing focus wheels. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I gave you you one of them. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Focus wheels. So we're doing an intention based. We are doing an intention setting, Sankalpa um, uh, setting uh, for the new year. And it's just using um, this principle of deliberately creating our future. So we're using, you know, something you want to bring into your life and surrounding it with ideas of that f- the way it feels rather than what it is. So, Rad. you know, like, uh, how, you, how do you want to feel in your job? I want to feel appreciated. I want to feel of service. I want to be compensated properly. Whatever those feelings are that are not specific, they're pretty general. And that makes it um, attainable because we don't know what the universe has in store for us. Right. Yeah. We don't know where that new job is. We don't know who the employer is, but we know how we want it to feel. Do you have your intention for 2021? I have several of them. <laughs> I have some that are, that have to do with uh, spirituality. I have mm-hmm. some that are physical, you know, asana stuff that I'm working on. Um, and I also have some stuff with my relationship that, uh, that is, that is intentions and stuff that I'm doing with business. Yeah. Uh, um, You know, I said, we're building, uh, we're looking at uh, a meditation and mindfulness retreat center.
0: Uh, yeah, I'm uh, super pumped for that. Yeah,
2: well, I'll let you know more about it as we find the right land and as we do that. Um, but, uh, you know, as it comes to asana-based stuff, I'm I'm working on planches, you know, which is a very tasking on the body to work on. It takes months, if not years, to really get into that. What's it called? Planche. Planche.
0: Yep. No, no, it's, it's out of my... Vocabulary. It is
2: basically uh, uh, a plank pose uh-huh. without your feet on the ground. Oh shit! <laughs> you need your feet. That's hard. <laughs> it's very hard, and it is. It takes a lot of training. When I when I'm in the gym, I, I get looked at funny. I use parallel bars, but oh, I see. And it's like doing like I mean, it's the same kind of concept where you're working protraction in the in the back right. to gain that strength. So you like a back lever or a front lever, you're getting that same kind of body positioning, and it's really a lot of core and. Mm-hmm. Um, core down to your knees, you know, all your entire quadriceps and mm-hmm. everything. So, that's like that with spirituality. I mean, I want to take another vipassana. I would like to go to another ten day yes, retreat.
0: I could. I'm probably due for one of those. But I, I know I, need I to am. Do one here, and I I want to go somewhere where there's like like, like it's out in nature though, like connected. Na- I did it in Myanmar, and it was. It, it was chaos, like uh, so much. I did demolition. mine in Sri Lanka, and it was
2: great. But, uh, that sounds great. But I,
0: I would like to be, at our retreat center,
2: We'd like to be doing uh, vipassana. vipassana there. Um, uh, I think another plant medicine journey is in my books. Um, yeah, I haven't. I haven't since I've been here in Utah. I haven't had a facilitated journey, so I've, I've been wanting to kind of reconnect to this land in that
0: way. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, every. Uh, I feel like ever since I opened this place, everyone and their dog who who. Facil- facilitates or knows someone who facilitates has already been in here, so yeah. it's like I can connect you to anybody that you're. Yeah,
2: I think that, that for me, it's 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 an it's an appreciation of the land, and I've been called back to this land. And I think for me, it's saying thank you. It's just like a, a thank you back to it. Not that I'm trying to dig deep to find anything or heal anything, because whatever needs healing will come up. I don't know what that is. Yeah, but I know that that Ishwara. We talked about Ishwara. And, that God sense will show its way to me in whatever means that is, and um, usually psilocybin has been the, the, a great teacher. Combo has been a great teacher. Mm-hmm. Ayahuasca has taught, and you know all those are great tools. I don't know which one it's going to be, yeah. Here, but I just know uh, that's going to be called to me for a, a spiritual path this well, year. They're, well, they're all here. Yeah, they're all here. <laughs> so those are those are on um, my spiritual path on um, my relationship. We. Um, my intention this year is just for us to continue to walk on the same path. Right. And, you know, for us to um, have our separate journeys and our separate things and stuff that we do, but yet still walk on our same path, still creating that triangle like we talked about, where we cr- where we meet in consciousness, where we meet in meditation. I'm mm-hmm. um, still working with her to do cold work with me. Um, you know, that, I think it's something that would be really powerful for us to do together. Um, especially because of her, she has some afflictions with, with autoimmune mm-hmm. and that would be really, really powerful, mm-hmm. you know, and it would be a, a means of teaching and then learning and teaching and learning. And so that would maybe is part of my intention this year is to, you know, she's, she does breath work, but, um, to working yeah that, that I road.
0: I'd love to meet her. I haven't met her yet. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, that's, that's rad. Um, it's great to, that you live your life with intention. Yeah. Uh, that's what I love about you and also that you you bring others to I mean, I think it's I think it's infectious. I think when people mm. are around others who have like vision and intention and like a, a, a bounce in their step like I'm I'm going here cuz I I you know, I know where I'm going, you yeah. know, and I'm I'm on my way there like right now. Like that's infectious and it gets other people inspired. And I've noticed already just by I mean you've only been in southern utah for for a short amount of time and it just feels like you've you've created a lot already and it's it's badass and I can't wait to mm. see you know what you do in the future with the retreat with everything. It's mm. exciting, man. But I'm super stoked that you came on the podcast. Thanks for doing this.
2: Yeah, no, definitely stoked to be here. I'm glad to be part of the tribe and we'll, you know, keep building. I, I always had a I I still have this kind of mantra that, you know, abundance is not something that I am acquiring. It's something that I am sharing. And so no matter what I do, I want to bring abundance to everyone. I want them to have abundance because of something, an action, a thing that I did. Not just for me personally. It has nothing to do with that. It has to do with building others up. And some respond really well to that. You've responded well to that. But some say, what do you mean? You <laughs> want to run my business? You know, like, yeah. or, and like, no, I just want if I come into your business and if I can share something or be yeah. a part of something, I hope it brings you abundance and I want nothing in return. I just want you to succeed because I know as we talk about sacred economics, that it will, it'll in turn eventually yeah come my way. I know that. Yeah. So I just kind of sit and go, I hope you are so successful. So I yeah. hope your podcast is successful, your business. Thanks man. It's, it's going
0: to do good. I, I, I feel like we are, we're pretty much, I feel, I feel like we're going from zero to one, which is the hard part, you know, like getting to the point where, it's a thing it's like people know about it and it's happening and the float center has been super amazingly encouraging just this last month it's been awesome yeah and i'm excited for the future but yeah man it's uh it's it's the shifts happening if i can feel it and, and and the shift of of uh mindsets towards capitalism in general and towards like just these old stories that a lot of people are shaking off right now so i welcome i welcome your uh new mm. philosophy of the mm. To our community. <laughs>
2: yeah.
0: Thank you so much for tuning in to the True North Podcast. We offer this podcast in the spirit of the gift. It's free. We don't run ads. And um if you do want to support the podcast uh and and give back it would be very helpful if you wanted to subscribe, share, uh r- give us five stars, all those good things. Um, and if you want to connect with uh, True North Float, which is the primary fuel for the podcast as of right now, and where we record the podcast, um, you can come in and float and check us out or jump on our website to learn more about floating if you're intrigued um, or our fire and ice room. Our website is tnfloat.com or tnfloa or connect with us on social media. Our Instagram handle is True North Float. Uh, Facebook is just True North Float as well. But uh, wishing you all a happy 2021 and much love.